This episode of How To Wrestling was requested by Harrison Green, one of our lovely backers over at patreon.com forward slash How To Wrestling. Hey, the live show, the celebrity special from the London Podcast Festival, that has just dropped over on the Patreon page. If you want to get your ears on that first and get access to over 100 pay-per-view reviews from AEW, WWE, NXT, not including as well side series like Pay-Per-View Classic, recent episodes including WrestleMania 10, a fantastic event that it was, as well as the, the Big Show Show, Roads to the Top, How to Revisited, video Q&As with myself and with Joe, all this and more and loads of little extra extra goodies available for a mere five dollars a month join in whenever you want and leave whenever you want but it's time for the serious business of the second half of the career of Shawn michaels it's time for how to hbk part two episode of how to wrestling the world's first podcast detailing how to wrestling how to get into wrestling how to understand wrestling and goodness knows maybe even how to enjoy wrestling and today i hope you've listened to the first part because it's part two the first ever part two about Shawn michaels it's how to hbk conclusion it's me your old pal captain kevin joined as i am always by my dude with attitude, Joe Graham. Hello. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you doing? I, I'm, I'm somewhat trepidatious. We've never done a two-parter before. Yeah. Uh, not not during the six to seven hours we were sat down recording Vince McMahon back in the day did we ever think maybe we should stop and do another part. <laughs> but obviously we preempted that with Sean, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So where were we last when we were talking about old HBK, the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels? Well, in part one in case you didn't listen why would you not listen you should go listen to it but in case you didn't listen we covered the early half of Shawn Michaels career which is him mainly throughout the 90s him teaming up with Marty Jannetty and with the Rockers and then his singles run and all the stuff with the Montreal Screwjob and then his first retirement yes so the first retirement of Shawn Michaels came in 1998 and we did mention briefly I think in the, in the last part where he was embroiled in a feud with the Undertaker at the time they were in what's known as a casket match where there was a big coffin set up at ringside Sean went sailing over the top rope and his lower, lower, lower back or pre-ass as it's known in medical circles mm. just, just makes contact with the corner of the coffin as he's going over yeah. and that causes a herniated disc which leads to a litany of problems but I think it's safe to say without trying to summarise the first episode too much that the broken back was but one of many problems, I think, for Sean, he was going through. Yeah, he, he was going through a tough time. He was dealing with a big addiction problems with drugs and alcohol. And I think, you know, a few different injuries as well. There, there were a few reasons why he had to take time away from wrestling. And back injury was just like, you know, the timing of it, I think, meant that it was a good excuse for him to go take a look at his life and what's important to him and kind of... Yeah, get some things in order, I suppose. Start to reevaluate, I guess. Because it's very strange. I don't think there's been a wrestler that we've looked at and, you know, who has kind of dual wielded high end performances, but also suffering through 
very visible like mental health problems yeah. and physical health problems. I mean, we've talked about a lot of wrestlers, some of whom were even in Sean's group, The Click, who kind of managed to keep that you know, under the under the hood, so to speak. Yeah. But I think it's safe to say that when it came to the late nineties and Sean, he was visibly struggling. I think, um, in in terms of, I mean, I don't say it's just Montreal, but I would think that Montreal is a perfect example to look at the screw job and his involvement there as being like kind of most people in wrestling who would have been given this horrible task to do would have maybe done so grimly, hmm. and Sean kind of. Not that he was forced to do it, but he was uniquely positioned to take part in that, I guess. Yeah, and blamed for it almost entirely, even though it wasn't his idea. And he can't really be blamed entirely. It's it's more complicated than that. Yeah, so we're going to start off now with Sean basically starting his, his, his retirement. 1998, he has his match with Stone Cold Steve Austin at WrestleMania. It's a main event and he has got severe back injury and he still manages to put on a main event and put over Stone Cold Steve Austin and he is then basically forgotten about more or less banished into the nether regions of wrestling which is around the time I started watching wrestling right so I started watching wrestling when Shawn Michaels was basically a non-factor so to speak Mm. which was very very strange because he would show up now and then during these periods mm. so the case was is that he was told that he was essentially going to be retired you know no more wrestling for you i think this was different from when his smile was lost i think this mm. was like kind of a, a a permanent state of injury and he decides and he says in this documentary which we watched the the end of the the original wwe documentary and they have a new ad biography that's come out so we kind of watched the end of one and all of the other to try and get like kind of a sense of where his, his legacy is being portrayed and he said that what his plan was, was to sit back and enjoy the fruits of his labor. But he mostly sat around at home and took pills all the time. That's sad. There was a few clips of him, like, where his eyes were, like, sunk in the back of his head. He looked tired. Yeah. Just, like, <sighs> spent, I guess is a good word to describe it. Yeah, I guess so. There was one picture that really stuck with me, which was... Uh, actually, it wasn't a picture. It was a clip of him and Triple H. And you can just see his pupils, like, so large. Mm, yeah. Like, just, yeah, looks frightening. So he would kind of come back, like, here and there. He was the commissioner. They'd bring him in for, like, special guest referee spots and things like that. And the thing that always struck me as a kid was just how much he meant to people. Like, he would show up and people would be like, oh, my fucking God. And I'm like, what? It's another lad in a sports coat and a tie. Like, what, what's the difference? I don't understand. Yeah. This but is he... me being a new wrestling fan in, like, 2016. <laughs> like, who's this old guy? Yeah, I know, right? Like, and you don't have the context to know why he's great. Yeah. Like, I'm playing WrestleMania 2000 and he's, like, the final boss. I'm like, why? He's, <laughs> he's just some lad in a hat. I don't understand. Yeah. But, you know, during this period, Vince McMahon describes in the documentary and as if he wasn't a bit already, Vince is like, Sean became incredibly bitter yeah. during this period. Why do you think he'd be bitter? Like, what, what do you think the bitterness is? Is it just because he's hurt and he can't do it anymore? Or what, what do you think it is, the source of it? I mean, I imagine, yeah, it's that, surely. Because, like, his, his whole identity and has been since he was a teenager, like 10 or 12 years old. He's wanted to be a professional wrestler at a very high level. And he achieved that very young. And then I think to have that taken away from you while you're still, like, you know, as far as he's 32, concerned, yeah, in his, in his prime, basically. So, 
That must be a hard thing to swallow. Isn't it weird that over in another company at the same time, Bret Hart is similarly like being labelled as bitter and going through yeah. these kind of feelings for very different reasons. Mm-hmm. I feel like there were very few winners uh, in the wrestling side of things. Or Vince, the, McMahon Vince McMahon on his own on a big throne. I mean... Here's a que- like here's a question because you know they had they showed a few clips in the A and E documentary that I was quite shocked by where it was like Sean during this period where it's like live via satellite shot in his own home and he's like, well you know I got to get busy with my uh, with my rehab. Whoops, not meant to say that. I mean physical rehab. physical rehab. You know, uh, you know at that point with someone like Sean, is that like on the company WWE like fuck it like you're going in like you know mm. you're you're going to rehab and you know that that's that's the end of that or is it kind of like well you're retired now off you go enjoy the fruits of your labor i feel like he was just kind of left out to flounder yeah i mean, i don't really know how that side of things works you'd know better than i would do they do they do that then do they say all right off you go post 2005 the 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 idea was that if anyone who has worked for WWE, even for a very, very brief period of time, the offer is there, they will put you through rehab. But is that the case of like, it's an open door policy and you have to opt to, you have to opt into that? Yes, yes. So it's not a case of them as the company being like, you need to go get help now. I think the difference is like, if you're under contract at the time, like a William Regal's, you know, instance, and we did his episode, like, there, you know, he's basically, his, his contract was contingent on him, you know, doing his, his rehab or whatever it was. But it just kind of feels like a quite a great sense of naivety. It's like I always think about like you know, everyone in university, like, and they get all this kind of you know tailored help and advice and all that. And then like literally the year after you leave university, like everyone I know from every walk of life is like, "What the fuck do I do now?" Yeah. And like you're in university, you've got a degree, there's a job market. I mean, at least there's things you think you're meant to do, even though it's very overwhelming and nigh on impossible. But like if you're a wrestler, like Shawn Michaels, and it's like, "Well, that's it. Off you go now. You mm. go off to the big mansion." You know, no family, no, yeah. no, nothing's going. Like that's a fucking. I don't say it's a death sentence, but like, it's a miracle that he weathered those few years. I guess. Yeah, no, definitely. It must have been really hard. Not to mention that, like, the thing that I always think about with wrestlers having to like retire is to go from one extreme of one work ethic, where mm. you are, you know, you're on the road three hundred days a year, probably more. And then you're also having to work out constantly to being like, right, relax now. And it's like, well, I never learned how to relax, though, because it's literally been like forbidden to me my entire life. Like My parents have both retired in the last year or so. And like I've seen them like not say they're struggling, but it's been a it's a serious adjustment for yeah. them, you know, because their lives were centered around, you know, the jobs that they did and all See, that. You know, I think of it more as like your grandparents, the ones who like would build boats for fun at Christmas. <laughs> like those are the type of people who would have become wrestlers who just do not know how to relax. Yeah, it's the downtime is interesting and like, you know, Sean did start his own wrestling academy, uh, the Shawn Michaels Wrestling Academy. And we did see a few little shots and clips of that. Yeah, Brian Danielson. Very young. And I think we might have mentioned that in the Brian episode way, like 2014 or 15, whenever we did the episode yeah. way back. I don't think that would have meant anything to you at no. the time, though. Does, does Brian seem like a student of Shawn? No way! <laughs> it's so... It's it's shocking to me. <laughs> I don't think it's quite the same thing, but I always think there's kind of almost a parallel there between... Brian's training from Sean and Sean's training from Jose Lothario, which is $3,000 well spent to say I got in the door yeah. and I got an opportunity. But no one's out there saying, like, I learned everything. I, yeah. This guy, I owe him every 
everything. <laughs> but Brian, like, he was actually 19 years old. Like, he yeah. you know, graduated, got in his car, drove over to, to train with Shawn Michaels. Wow. And, you know, in his book, there's some interesting stories of what it was like to train under Shawn during this period. Because, mm. you know, sometimes he'd, you know, sunglasses, he'd come in, he'd just be sat in the back of the room, he wouldn't say or do anything. Other days he'd come in, like, full of fucking energy, be like, right, we're doing drills. And he'd go and he'd do back body drops so big his feet would touch the ceiling. Ooh. On the bad back that's supposed yeah. to be a herniated disc yeah. and all that, like so. Jesus, it, uh, it's interesting. I always wonder, like the wrestlers who were like, who really want to be back in the ring. Are, yeah. Do they make good trainers or bad trainers? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but it's not long before Sean is sitting at home enjoying the fruits of his labors. In inverted commas, before he tunes in to the rival TV show WCW Nitro, and his world gets turned upside down and inside out. Show. <laughs> He saw a hot nitro girl <laughs> doing flash dance and was like, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, I love his both documentaries. Like, take Sean basically like, oh, Matt, you know, this is, this is real sexy. I really liked it. Like, it was so hot. It was so hot. Like, she was wearing these, like, flares and she was like, uh, you know, like a chair. Yeah, oh, the stuff she did with a chair. You've never seen anything like it. It's like, have you never seen flash dance before? I mean, he obviously hadn't. He'd been on the road. He was no, he's too, been busy. too busy. Too busy. Yeah. And there's something very sweet and very pure about Sean's love for his wife, the former Nitro Girl Whisper, aka Rebecca. And you got one documentary from like 2007 where he's talking about this with like shiny eyes. He's like, "Oh my god, I'm so enamored and rapture yeah. talking about it." And they show this like slow mo footage of her doing the dance, like which is kitschy as hell let's just say Aww. and then we come back to like the documentary from like 2021 and he's like you know old and grey and balding and he's still talking with the same reverence yeah about Whisper doing the flash it's dance so sweet isn't it like I don't even believe in love at first sight and yet what else can you describe this as like he's just fucking fe- like and it's not like He's not known for doing this. It's not like he he's... He like a womanizer. And, no, I mean, he, yeah. he kind of is, but not in a serious way. He's not known for being in serious relationships. He's no Bret Hart. No, exactly. Pretty girls! Yeah. <laughs> like, he'd more like, you know, pick up girls on the night and then never see or speak to them again. Whereas this was like, someone who immediately obviously like something about this dance cut through to him and it seemed to cut through to you as well because like i was starting this bit like literally like we we press play on the you know resume on the on the documentary and it's him like kicking open a door and trying to ruin steve austin's press conference and yeah. being like in the worst place possible i'm like well it's gonna be a bit of an uphill struggle to get her to see anything about Shawn michaels in this episode and then as soon as he was talking about his his, his love of his wife it was very pure it was you i know? just I've never seen him look like like that passionate about anything before. And like the closest I can think of is like sometimes he looks at his friends a bit like that. <laughs> like he is he's a very he's got a lot of love in him. I do really think that about Shawn Michaels. He's a very loving person. He's, lo- he's a loving person who wants to be loved. Yeah, he really wants to be loved. 100%. Needs to be loved. Yeah, yeah. And you can see, I think it's one of the things I really like about Shawn Michaels, I find adorable, is the way he looks at people he loves. You and look, he can do that as an old man. He can do it when he's yeah. like, you're, you're 20, you look at a married Jeanette and you get the same kind of, He's just got these know? puppy dog eyes of like just pure, sincere love. And the way he just like recounts, as you say, like seeing him do it, like, you know, he's five years after meeting her and he's obviously still smitten. Obviously five years isn't a very long time. But then him doing it again nearly 20, 20 years, years and yeah. it's still just as strong, the feelings he feels. And that's just lovely. It's really cute. It shows you how goddamn good Whisper and the Nitro Girls I were. Know. 
know, every single one of those Nitro Girls went on. I mean, actually, I think Charmel was a Nitro Girl, Booker T's wife as well. Right. Like, oh, oh, I wonder how many wrestlers are sat at home being like, I fucking hate being at home. Like, oh my God. Nitro Girls. A Nitro Girl. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like Bischoff, when he was pitching, is like, look, in the worst case scenario, we're going to match up a lot of wrestlers <laughs> with a lot of Nitro Girls. It'll be good for the business. I think there is a version of this story that I could have recounted to you where you've been like, that's creepy. Yeah. He's literally like sitting at home, pilled out of his mind, turns on Nitro and he's like, holy shit. He rings someone up being like, can I have her number please? Yeah. I was thinking when I first heard that, I was like, well, that is a bit creepy because like he's Shawn Michaels, a bit of a power imbalance in this relationship already. But she doesn't know who the fuck he is. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) That's so wonderful. That's incredible. How how insulated the Nitro girls were from the evils of the business that you didn't even know. In 1999, who Who Shawn Michaels was. was. And you're in a company with Bret Hart and Hulk Hogan. That's great. And Nash and Hall. How? I want a TV show just about the Nitro girls being oblivious to it. Like, who's Hulk Hogan? I'd love to know, like, yeah, I think an episode on the Nitro girls would be fascinating be great fun because i'm sure there's stories out there you know i don't say yeah. it's all like you know, doom and gloom and dark side of shit but just talk about a unique perspective yeah because you, know, you know women in wrestling we've talked about but like you know if you're a, even if you're a manager or a valet or a wrestler in that time obviously it's a different kettle of fish mm-hmm. the nitro girls were like they were an act yeah that was kept to one side yeah you know? very strange indeed but obviously it goes well, the courtship with uh, with Old Whisper. Two weeks after he got her number, they were saying I love you to each other, which is fast. That is fast. But two weeks after that, they got married, which <sighs> is so fast. And six weeks after that, she was pregnant. Oh my god, that's so. Oh my god, that's a that's stressful a, to think about. Ba 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 you know. That's, yeah. that's quick, like seriously. And like on the one hand, I'm like, well, I can understand why Sean is like that because he's pulled out of his mind. Like he probably is making some rash decisions at this uh, point. I mean, in his yeah, life. you were quick to point out like the the Vegas wedding photos. Oh, they were married by an Elvis impersonator, which I thought was very cute. And you know, he had a thousand yard stare in those yeah. pictures. You know. But like she, Whisper, I don't know her real name. Rebecca. Rebecca. She's obviously very gra- very grounded, very down to earth, very smart, good, sensible. Good for him. I very think. good for him. But like, even though it's Shawn Michaels, she seems to be like, you know, she seems to be out of his league because she's so, she seems to have her shit together so much. I it's like, it, why uh... would you waste your time with someone like that who's so clearly messed up? But she does. She obviously sees something in him i mean I, I feel for him in his position because it's like you know he's someone who's grown up in wrestling at this point yeah. 19 is when he debuts he's training since he was you know 16 or 17 or thereabouts you don't we've seen it time and time again this podcast you don't get a normal adolescence no. and you, and, you know we're from the generation where or 20s is like almost viewed as like a second ad- adolescence yeah. for many and like that's back in the day where it's like you're 20 you're a man now yeah, you know, you're, you're an adult you're an adult all the responsibilities you have a family and a house yeah and like you know he's at the point now in his you know mid 30s where mm. i mean i don't say like hey if you're a wrestler and you're having a, a, a distance relationship it's not real or anything like that but it's like it's not normal mm. you know you're on the road 275 days a year you see yeah. your wife for like 90 of those maybe yeah. that's that's not normal no like, it's, it's not uh, unless you have something to compare it to beforehand so yeah, I feel like it's a wholesome story that's taking place in the midst of a tempest because Sean views it as being like, okay, I'm like, I'm going to give, I'm, I'm going to have a kid soon. Mm. So I've got nine months to get clean 
and to get get right. Yeah. And I think that you and I always seem to get alarm bells and we share every time we hear anyone where it's like, and once we have the kid, the whole of my life is, is going to be filled over or yeah. like, you know, that it's going to be somehow a solution as opposed to like, you know, a challenge in its own right. Yeah. It's something to be viewed as not not an answer to a to a to a hypothetical question you yeah know? definitely and I, and I also think similarly but differently having a deadline for sobriety i think is also um a recipe for trouble yeah because i think for an unfortunately for addicts it's not a case of right okay i'm gonna get my shit together before that time it's like right i've got that amount of time before i need to get my shit together which yeah. means i may as well party fucking well, hard it. like how many times did we see in the regal episode where it was like right the deadline is it's like it's here this is when yeah. it's gonna be i'm going to rehab on this day but so i may as well make most of it yeah, while i can christmas is coming up and all of a sudden it's a non-stop bender or yeah. whatever it is and like this is the point where Sean is kind of you know learning the hard way that the friends you make in wrestling, if you're no longer actively involved in wrestling, like it's not like oh it, all the friendships are phony, but it's just like you're out of the loop and all that. Yeah, and it's been know? said before with like wrestlers who are friends, but they work at different companies. Like they just don't have they're diff- on different schedules. They're both working real hard routines. Yeah, there's just not time. There's two really sad little anecdotes that he's told from kind of a, around that time. One is from before he met his wife, where it's his childhood friend, the guy who you know did the talent show we talked about in part yeah, one. Yeah, it's his best friend basically. Yeah, and he, you know he's not a rich man or anything like that, but you know Sean got into wrestling and he had a family young and has a wife and you know kids and all that. And you know he comes up to Sean's mansion. And he's in this massive cavernous mansion, and Sean's literally like, "You could have had all this." Instead, you you took you you made the wrong choice. You got the family instead, and like, look at me, I've so got I've scary. got it all. And like, that's so sad. And the other one is like Nash and Hall recounting a story where Sean is like really like you know in the midst of a, of a of a bad session, let's just say. And he's like, God, imagine if I had died after and I OD'd after WrestleMania ten in a ladder <laughs> match. I'd have been bigger than Elvis. Imagine he's right. it. He's right. I mean, he's, he is right. Like, that would have been legendary. I'm not saying it's a good thing, but yeah, like, like... FOMO for suicide? Like, Jesus Christ. Is that Christ. what he was saying? Though? Yeah, he like... FOMO? Like... Well, it's like, kind of like, that would have been... Because like, he was, like, literally watching his legacy kind of dissolve, I guess. Right. You know, because, you know, if you're watching 99 Raw, I mean, hey, take it from me. The last thing I was fucking thinking about was the great career and legacy of Shawn Michaels. It took me 10, 15 years to even give him a look in after that yeah. point, you know? And I think if you're watching the shows like he is, and you're kind of seeing like, hey, other people are getting ahead. Austin's the most popular superstar of all time, all this other stuff. And you're kind of out of the conversation. It's like, oh man, let's think back to the good times. And that's one thing to think back on the good times. I'll never begrudge anyone to do that. But to think back on like, when would have been the ideal time to top yourself? That's I, like, he's in a bad way, man. I mean, it is. It's very sad. But also I do think it's really funny that he picked WrestleMania 10 specifically. The one with the show where he's not the main event, but he'll say he considers himself to be the main event. Yeah. He really wants to steal the thunder from Brett there. Yeah, Brett and Yoko <laughs> wouldn't have had a chance if Sean OD'd yeah. after the match. I'll like, fucking do it. Jesus Christ almighty. And there is this, like, really kind of, you know, it's only really come out in the last few years because it feels like even though Sean's been, you know, born again for, you know, nearly two decades mm. now and all that, it feels like only the last few years some of the grisly details will, will kind of come out. And there's this incident in 2001. It's when Vince has bought WCW and they recount it. It's like, you know, Undertaker, The Rock, Triple H, all these big names are all sat around the monitor, you know, watching Vince give the speech about WCW being over. And Sean's literally like slamming into things, going ah, like just being like a complete wreck, yeah. a complete nuisance. And Undertaker's like, 
can you believe this guy? Like he's absolutely like ruining this special moment. And it just the idea of like the 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 Mount Rushmore of wrestling being there, and there's this like other head that's fallen off the mountain that's rolling around, going ah. <laughs> and he has this big falling out with Triple H then and there, like this big fucking huge blow up, you know, yeah. screaming at each other. Apparently, he says a bunch of really really mean shit, which they didn't even say what it was he said. What could it have been? no idea i don't know enough about triple h to know what his weakness is that's it it's like like i can't imagine in that state like tears in each other's man's eyes and being like you were never as big a star as me like is that it i like to imagine there was something about china you did a duty even though i know it's not that because like sean doesn't care he doesn't give a shit about china but it's probably something to do with yeah ego yeah it's strange and there are these rumors that are kind of around this time in 2001 that they were maybe testing the waters if sean was ready for a comeback because his back was was okay was o- or, or at least you know was in working condition you know he did do a match at his texas wrestling uh, uh federation that he did in 2000 you know he did do a few little spots here and there we've been sent it and i will show it to you before we get to the tweets sean actually did a little brief spot in uh, fmw in japan wow where he was a special guest referee who uh, tried to do count outs even though that they don't do count outs oh in that. and so it's him with two lads who don't speak english and going what oh no so we'll have to make sure we check that out before we get to the tweets but yeah the, the, it feels like he's not in the right place to come back for a return of any sort and there's kind of like this situation now where his child has been born and he's not quite you know, he's not sober. It didn't no. happen. No, Rebecca talks about him falling asleep regularly, like on a twice weekly basis, like falling asleep into his dinner and her having to like drag him. And she's like eight months pregnant. She's having to drag her husband into the shower and like wash his dinner off him. Her and Triple H have like shared this kind of, you know, I don't know, stewardship over Yeah, over except Shawn one Michaels. of them is a massive bodybuilder. You know, six foot three or one's however tall. Wife, like. The other one's a yeah, heavily pregnant woman. Like, and it's funny because you know, he does mention you know, you know, Triple H. He stuck after me, and then she did, and kind of go ha ha ha. Yes, yeah. my road wife. But it's like no, literally, like these are the two people who probably have scooped out the handful of vomit or mug mm-hmm. of dip in your mouth while you've passed out. Like, yeah, like, chewing tobacco and passing out is Whoa. like that's a recipe for fucking like literally to die in your sleep. You know, and there's this like. This is kind of sadness where it's like the kid is born and it's still like he's still in the bad way. And it's kind of, you know, you've missed the opportunity now, he thinks in his head. And there's this really sad story of he wakes up the next morning and there's like cookies that have been made or something like that. And he's like, you know, where are the cookies? And like he, they're like, oh, you ate them last night with, with your two-year-olds, don't you remember? And he's like, he doesn't even remember yeah. like these little moments or like he falls asleep on the couch and his child know like is basically like crawling over and being like wake up daddy you know daddy's tired and he says that's the moment literally then and there where yeah. he, you know he's like that's it no more done cold turkey yeah he says he he went from that to he went into the bathroom and he just stared at himself in the mirror and cried for like hours which i imagine would have been a very cathartic thing to do it must have been hard 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 thing to do and yeah they don't really go into details about like his stints in rehab other than, you know, including the old clip here and there where he's like, Whoop, I'm in rehab. Yeah. But, you know, as long as it gets a publicly known thing, I'm imagining, yeah, which, is you that know, like, is that the case of, because for me, my perspective, having watched all these documentaries and people fucking talking about demons and stuff, is that it feels like the WWE was like, don't talk about drug problems. Yeah. That we don't, you know, you're supposed to be a role model. You're a superstar. So we don't talk about it. You're in physical rehab. 
not for drug addiction. Yeah, I think they didn't want that kind of out there at the time. Which you seems know? like really hard to like go through that privately when maybe you want to like tell everyone that you're struggling i'm not sure if it's the company or if it's yeah, him if it's him but the way that he reacted with all kind of like oh i said <laughs> the bad thing you know that like feels he to always... me like he wants to talk about it and it's he's been said you know you can always tell that arrow Shawn michaels when it's like oh i've been told not to say something yeah. essentially because that's the first thing that he will say i think it's it's probably naive of us to be buying the narrative that it's like the tragic thing happened he looked himself in the mirror and then the next day that was it but that's how he likes to tell it you know and if that's that's your version of events and that's what gets you through and that's what keeps you on the the straight and narrow i mean maybe that's genuinely maybe that is what happened i don't know but i think there was there was obviously a turning point there was a turning point yeah i think is what it is and you know he, he he gets a call from kevin nash who's basically telling him like you know why you you know why are you still doing this kind of stuff? You know, it's like, you know, you're kind of past this now and you need to ring up Triple H and apologize, cap in hand, say sorry, mm. you know? So he rings up Triple H and he has to, you know, I think they said they didn't talk for like over a year. Yeah. When Sean recounts this, he is sobbing openly. Yeah. Like it's obviously something that really is a big burden for him is what he said to Triple H at that meeting. For someone who a lot of fans, rightly or wrongly so, view as being kind of like, I don't want to say smug or full of himself, but it's kind of like people feel like they see Brett and they see the kind of the, the burdens that he had. And they're like, kind of, they see Shawn Michaels being like, I'd mm. be like, oh, fucking, why is he not got this big bag of rocks he's carrying around <laughs> with him? And it's like, well, actually, you know, maybe because he deals with it by laughing it off all the time. Yeah. And that's that's the difference there. Like, Bret Hart, he takes it, he fucking embraces it. Sean is like, well, here it is. Oh, I'm going to dance around and make a funny joke about it. Mm-hmm. I've been both of those guys, I think, at points in my life where I've dealt with things by being very, you know, okay, here's the grim reality of it and also trying to be silly about it. I'm I like sure to I'm... think of it in terms of anxiety versus depression. Yeah, I think one is necessarily, <laughs> like, more helpful than the other. No. Like, something bad happens to you, like, Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart appear on your shoulder. It's like, well, maybe you shouldn't listen to either of those <laughs> guys, like, in that instance. But, um... Yeah, there's a lot of guilt there. And this thing as well, it's like, that's only the guilt that we know of. Mm. That he's okay with talking about on television. A million other things. Because like when he's talking about, in the newer documentary, when he's talking about like taking cocaine, he's like, he's, he's really like, he's spluttering laughing because he doesn't want to say, hey, I was fucking addicted to coke and then some mm. couldn't stop. Like, you yeah. know, really hard for him. It's around this time as well that Sean has a new addiction in his life. And I'm only saying that because WWE sure like to talk about being a Christian as being an addiction. Yeah, that's the Vince-isms, I guess. <laughs> it's, it, and the, the line always for them is, is like, hey, you know, no one ever overdosed from, from God. You know, whatever, man, gets you through it. I don't care. I mean, I guess broadly I agree with that. I mean, what's your, what's your viewpoint on it? That like, On what exactly, sorry? On like... Vince and Triple H having this view in their head that it's like, this is a helpful, useful addiction that you can replace I mean, I your definitely, demons with. I, I disagree that it's an addiction, but I think it's it's about finding meaning. I think that's a big part of like, um, of AA is, you know, and it's it's obviously it's it's helpful for them to, to base it around Christianity because that's yeah. very easy teachings and they've got a book to follow and there's or, or a a hi- community support and stuff like that. Yeah, or a mysterious higher power. A higher power, yeah. Know? But I, I do think if you have struggled with addiction long term, you do have to replace 
that with something. Mm. But I don't think it's fair to say that it's like something healthy is an addiction. Like an addiction is a real, yeah. it's a term that has meaning and you can't just apply it to something that's like, oh, well, I don't like this thing, therefore it's an addiction. Yeah, and I think just because as someone who, just because someone who is self-described or described by others as an addict does something yeah. It doesn't mean, and they get into it, doesn't mean that it's an addiction. Yeah. Because I think an addiction is an inherently negative thing. Exactly. You know, and I, th- I think that... An addiction implies that you've lost an element of control over your life and that your life is suffering in many ways because of your addiction. Yeah. Obviously, him finding Christianity has done him immeasurable good. You can't possibly say it's a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, I've never had issue with any wrestler... Who's like went and found Christ, you know, or or whatever is the thing that they find that they get, you know, I'm more skeptical at wrestlers who get mad into crypto than they get oh, yeah. into, they get into Jesus and God and all that stuff. I always think though, there's kind of like there's the playlist of things that you're always going to see if a wrestler's talking about being born again and all that. Them walking through fields, them being near farms, then wearing like you know baggy denim jeans and a hat and a hat. Death, oh, being on an ATV, mm. wearing sunglasses and a hat and a hat. You know, having kids <laughs> in your arms and they, wearing a hat. They have hats as well. Yeah. You know, I think they do a serviceable job on both documentaries of trying to explain it without it becoming a Bible thumping situation. I, I don't think the first one that we watched did that at all, actually, because <laughs> they didn't ever acknowledge that he had a drug problem. They just implied that he partied too much. And to say that, like, you know, for someone to have to find a very religious Christian, like, lifestyle, like, quite hardcore, because he becomes like a youth pastor, basically. Oh, yeah, he's, like, he's proper immersed. righteous gemstones, like, yeah. mega church. It's That's not like, he's in, oh, yeah. he goes to church on Sundays. Like, he is there many times a week, like, part of the community. So, like, you know, to go from that after just having a bit of, you know, too many parties, wearing a few too many lampshades. Like, I was going to say, like, Sean came in here and he was wearing the biggest lampshade I'd ever seen. I said, do you want to take that off and embrace Christ instead? Like, Maybe I will. You I know. know of another man who wore a lampshade. <laughs> <laughs> and you're right. I think the, la- the latter doc is probably a little bit more comfortable in talking about it because I think... When it's only six or seven years out, there's yeah. almost a trepidatiousness with it as well mm. and what they want to say about it. And again, I think it's more of like WWE thinking, we don't want to put anyone off too hard yeah. with our with our fun new Christian character, Shawn Michaels. I mean, I think that if you live the life that Shawn Michaels has lived and you have pissed people off on a very public forum that is also ingrained into the fabric of pop culture you can't do this and not have people doubt you oh yeah and i'm not saying it's especially like, if you're sean michael yeah right? like he'll have that till the end of time mm. and i think like that's i mean i would say that's that's fair or anything like that yeah. or, or that he you know he deserves it or that it's you know this awful burden i just think it's like that's part of that's part of it you yeah. know? But there's like the same industry and probably the same type of people who think the Montreal Screwjob is like a big work. Yeah. <laughs> or that they think that, you know, Stephanie McMahon secretly had an affair with Macho Man. Yeah. Like there's just, there's always going to be people in wrestling and not just wrestling in any industry. Weird yeah. fans who believe in the conspiracies of things. Yeah. Or just, you know, find something that's easy to mock and kind of hang on to it or whatever it is. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of, you know, especially the time when 
Shawn Michaels would have like become a born again Christian was around the same time of like you know Richard Dawkins speaking out more about atheism and yeah the, and the, he picked like the least cool time yeah. to become a Christian in, in recorded history very probably. easy to mock someone at that time for that and I think you know a lot of older wrestling fans who maybe would have grown up with Shawn and maybe were watching back in the Hogan years you know they know about born again and they know about you know Jake Roberts and it being you know kind of a, a yeah. used as a gimmick yeah and I think I I definitely was of the the viewpoint because I didn't really know Sean much as a competitor that when this was presented as part of it that it was going to be like a gimmick yeah like it was going to be like Sean's going to talk about like being saved every week and mm. you know you can't beat me because I have you know the the power of you know the power of Christ by me or whatever yeah. it is but I was always in quite impressed at the restraint that they didn't make it a big thing <laughs> I mean, you know somewhat like you know kind so, of you know it, it, <laughs> He's not coming out on a crucifix, you know? No. But considering it's WWE, it's not like Jake Roberts where he's like, yeah. folks, I want to tell you about how personally I've been saved. Mm. You know, it's not like Jake Roberts with the Bible or Ryback with the, the secret or whatever it was that he was the oh, God. obsessed with. It. It's like, you know, he was, I don't think he was trying to convert people along the way. It didn't oh, feel like. No, no, it's very, it's, yeah. seems to me a very personal thing for him that he needed to do to heal himself yeah and they they say they straight up imply that it's a miracle like yeah. that that she's she prayed for him and he joined the bible study group that you know she was part of yeah. and they all prayed for him and they laid hands on his back and they said let's pray for sean's back mm. and he said the next morning i woke up and it was perfect no pain well if you believe in miracles i can completely understand why you'd think that as one like how could you not think that as a miracle if you believe in miracles yeah, like you know it's quite quite magical personally i'm a massive skeptic and i think it's the power of psychology and psychosomatic pain is, yeah. is, a, very, is a very big thing and all that and... and especially for someone like sean who needs to be loved and stuff like that and he suddenly has this massive overwhelming community of support in a religion that is all about loving your neighbor and stuff like that like i i think that that could, on a psychological level, heal you in a way that medicine can't. And if every pastor they speak to is like fucking delight, this big shitty grin, like I don't even know who this guy was. Like, oh, fuck, <laughs> he's the biggest wrestler ever. It's great, yeah. And, you know, he's you know he does he does exciting Bible studies. We get to see footage of Sean <laughs> wearing camouflage, and loads of teenagers also wearing camouflage, <laughs> assumedly hunting, and then talking about how Jesus Christ was like a hunter of a, of a, of a sort. <laughs> I couldn't help myself, Joe. They mentioned the name of the church, and I did have to Google. Oh, Kevin. Cornerstone Church Controversy and uh, in San Antonio. And I will say, first and foremost, it is a... Ma when I said Righteous Gemstones earlier, I meant in terms of, like, scale. It's, like, the proper, like, you know, sold-out arena was for it, the Sunday service. Do you know, was it always like that? Or is it... Because I was like, surely Sean brought a lot of funding. Oh, you got to think. Like, how could he not? Well, it's interesting because, you know... It, from my study of it that I found, and this is just from trying to piece together the or construction of a tax-exempt church, yeah. you know? But it seems to be it's kind of almost like a brand across this area in San Antonio where there's lots of smaller churches. Like, like a Weatherspoons, basically. They bought up all your other small churches. A franchise of churches. And they've kind of kept the name and put it under the umbrella and it's kind of part of this big conglomerate. But yeah, it's like this type of a, a church where there's all these stories about, you know, like say someone, you're like, oh, they, you know, the mother died and there was left with three kids and they had no no parents and he like pays off the house for them and you know puts them through college there's all these like big charitable kind of endeavors that kind of get associated with it so it's like it's one of these like big business churches you know like, you see footage of it it's like 
pretty much like an arena, like a stadium, thousands of people gathering in the, the big temple or whatever it is. Yeah. But like most churches in America, it can escape the uh, <laughs> the, uh, the the remits of controversy and whatnot. And a big issue there last year, where according to the pastor involved, entirely by accident, they accidentally assembled a large gathering of right-wing militants and QAnon conspiracy theorists. And uh, how, how does that happen by accident? Because. Uh, in their, in, this is their side of things. It's like they, they just thought this person was like a warrior for Christ, and you know, uh, someone who's like to go out and do some speaking, talking about the world, talking about faith and family, and you know, the way that lots of right wing people cloak themselves in like kind of the vagueness of Christian values, but also mm. family and friendship and uh, right. the fifth and then the Second Amendment, and it's a slippery slope. Let's just say, yeah. And there's a reason then why this church, which is you know meant to be a non denominational church as well like as in you know, any any walk of christian life could go in there which okay. for, for me raised a catholic is fucking bananas the idea <laughs> of that but you've got a arena full of thousands of people chanting let's go brandon which is the QAnon slash uh dark web code word for fuck joe biden okay. i'm not saying this because i'm like poor poor joe biden oh no not not shouldn't leave him alone it's just like showing you that like a church well-meaning big small whatever the organization i feel like there's a there's a, a blind spot there where right-wing folks can get involved yeah and can use it as a cover and i think that if you're a well-meaning pastor thinking you're just assembling a group of people and all of a sudden you've got a QAnon rally mm. well maybe you're not a very good pastor in that sense of the words yeah you should maybe know your flock a little bit better than that mm. but yeah not saying that Shawn michaels is involved in QAnon or anything like that i'm just saying that his bread and butter church is a big church and big church got big controversy last year. I just figured we couldn't go through a lengthy sequence like that without bringing up some sort of a miserable controversy at the end yeah. to, as a palate cleanser. But he's at this point now where he's been training, he's been rehabbing and he's quietly getting ready to return. And lots of folks would love to tell the story that Shawn Michaels just came back and had a great match, but he was soft launched back into the WWE. <laughs> Like posting a picture of your new boyfriend's hands on your Instagram stories. <laughs> Did you do that when we started going out? Soft launches hadn't been invented for boyfriends when we started going out. How would you have soft launched me then? Was it, would it have been my hands? Is a hand enough of a, a giveaway for me? Mm, I don't know. Mm. Probably not. I feel like I'd have to include your beard somehow, but then that's just like a launch. So I don't that know. That is pretty much. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how you, how you would soft launch me. Like, no. you know, <laughs> not even possible. So... Sean is brought back in as the leader of the NWO. And we watched a couple of these segments. This was a bad fit from the get-go, it felt like. Is Sean Michaels the only person who's been in the NWO and DX? Uh, X-Pac. Brackets, oh, Sean Waltman oh. also as well has, okay. has been involved in both groups. Big crossover, interesting. Yeah, but I mean, this is like, this is the cursed version yeah. of the NWO. Yeah, when everyone was in it, even the big show. Like, I knew it was bad that like when one of the promos we were watching and Sean be like, we're such mean, nasty guys. And oh, wait till we get you. And then Kevin Ash is like, and I'm coming back to action tonight because my knee feels amazing. <laughs> and it's like, oh my God, this is so fucking cursed. Sean and, and Nash together, big mm. sexy Kevin Nash. Something about the two of them together makes me feel wholesome and warm inside. I get that way with Sean and a lot of people. Like I feel, you know, it's funny because he's he's one of the most successful single superstars of all time mm. and probably will be. 
but and yet I, all my warm fuzzy feelings with Shawn Michaels always comes with him and someone else like him yeah. and Triple H or mm. him and Kevin Nash yeah. or him and Sherry mm. it's yeah he, he I think he, he kind of needs someone to, to rely on the squeal of excitement when Nash or Diesel or whichever iteration it is yeah. when, when him and Sean do the two sweep. I love it. It always gets a pop out of you. It's because Kevin Nash always like reaches his hand up really high, even though Sean's so much shorter than him and he, Sean always has to jump to reach. And it always gets a pop out of me because Kevin Nash never does that to Scott Hall. <laughs> they just do a regular two yeah, sweep, yeah, even yeah. though then Scott Hall's much taller than Shawn Michaels. It's like, <laughs> it feels like a test or like Kevin Nash is doing it to like make Sean look very cute or something. I don't know. I used to do that as a teacher all the time. Yeah. Because like, you know, kids always want high fives when they've done something well. Yeah. And I would always put my hand up really high. <laughs> make I them could, earn it. You can tell you the kid who's A, either a tryhard or B, a good realist. Ah. You know? And the kids be like, you know what? Actually, I've decided I don't want a high five anymore. Be like very good we've all learned something that's good if i can teach a child to reach their potential or to realize they shouldn't bother i know my job as a teacher <laughs> so the uh, the bit with the nwo it lasts like a couple of weeks but it's just so funny seeing this like like sean feels like he's bursting at the seams wanting to tell everyone what a good lad he is now yeah i'm a good boy now yeah but he's like oh you don't want to get on our bad side mm. you'll be excluded from prayer group you know he, <laughs> he doesn't have it in him anymore this whole NWO thing, like we'll do it in an episode at, at some point. We'll do an NWO Ooh. episode, and uh, yeah, we'll, 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 you can probably guess what happens with regards to this uh, this angle here. It gets kind of put by the wayside, and then it gets turned into essentially like a dream match that's going to happen at the pay per view at SummerSlam. Shawn Michaels is going to come out of retirement to wrestle his old best friend, the man who's now turned his back on him and is basically doesn't want him to return to wrestling because he's become such a big star since. Shawn Michaels and Triple H at SummerSlam 2002, an overwhelming option from all the folks who tweeted in using hashtag HowToHBK. This was uh, an interesting one, and you pointed out to me, you're not very tenured with Triple H matches, it seems. No, I've not seen many, and the ones I have seen were bad, and he was old. <laughs> it's like, I was like, convinced you'd seen loads. We went onto the website, because we tend to tag people who've been in, I think he's been in one or two apps, maybe. But I think it was maybe because when we started, he was still an active wrestler. Yeah, and because I didn't like him. I mean, what is it that you don't like about Triple H? If you were, before knowing all and all about it, what is it so far that is is, is oh. rubbing you the wrong way? Where to begin? <laughs> I will never forgive him for what he did to China. Yeah. Ever. Fair. I, that, I think it's one of the most evil things you can do to a person is what he did to her. But also, I... And not just, well, I guess it's not just one thing. It's kind of a... A semi-campaign of things over that, the years. That's, yeah, yeah. that was the issue. It's like, you know, fucking cheating on her with the owner's daughter. Like, it's just, it's just so unfair on so many levels. And then, like, everything that happened to her afterwards that mm. could have so easily been prevented with just a phone call. And then all the stuff he said about her as well. Like, just... Anyway, I well, hate him. Un unlike Sean or Brett, doesn't seem to be uh, burdened with a great deal of uh, guilt no. these days. It's interesting. Uh, I haven't liked any of the matches of his that I've seen. I really don't like how he looks. The only thing I like about how he looks is his stupid face. I like his big <laughs> nose. But I hate his body. I hate how he looks. I hate his uniform, his stupid little pants. I hate his muscles. I... You hate his muscles? I really hate his muscles. He looks like... He was so boring. This is great. This is like kind of a, a stream of consciousness Terry Funk promo about Ric Flair. Like, you yeah. hook tooth, banana nose, jackass. <laughs> no, I like his banana nose. <laughs> oh, it's the only good thing <laughs> about him. 
because it makes him interesting and unique because other wrestlers don't look like that but Fair, his body yeah, is yeah. so fucking boring um i hate his obsession with heavy metal even though i like heavy metal it makes me like it less because he likes it I don't like that he's a politicker. I don't like that he's manipulative. I don't like that he is to blame for the Montreal screw job and yet no one else talks about that. Yeah. He gets none of that. It's all fucking on Sean. Like what kind of friend is that? Like to Sean to to take take carry none of the burden and just let your friend who really wasn't that involved take yeah, all Sh- of the Sean's fucking... business, Joe. You know it's Sean's business. He gets it. He understands. It's okay. And I don't like as well, you know, because I I admire him as a whatever his role is now. He's obviously good at what he does as oh, an yeah. executive. Twenty twenty two. Let me tell you, we, over on the the Patreon, we we've been enjoying the new pay per view mm-hmm. offerings for the World Wrestling Entertainment under Triple H. But I don't like how everyone fucking kisses his ass. Like so many wrestling fans are. Obs- obsessed with triple h and they're like oh he can do no wrong and they're like they're like the fucking what's wayne's world like we are not worthy triple h daddy and i just hate that shit i hate his obsession with white men with brown beards and brown hair and he's just so predictable and i just i don't like i don't like that he's all like ooh, I, I don't take drugs and i don't drink when he obviously has taken steroids and yet everyone is like he would never take steroids Honestly, I, I could I could keep going for an yeah, hour. Yeah, it feels like I'm amazed. I thought this would be like a bit of a two-line bit. Uh, I, I, yeah, I really don't like Triple H. But I figure this is good though, because you know we're 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 at a point where I think you at least you know you don't like Triple H. I think you've understood him and Sean's relationship. Yeah, you know, and I think on you know other than the Montreal Screwjob stuff and the fact that I think. I think by being the sober one in a group of friends of drug addicts, I think you are enabling that behavior to an extent, even though he obviously thought of it as being like, I'm helping them, I'm protecting them. I, don't... I, I guarantee you Shawn Michaels wouldn't be alive. And I don't yeah. say this, like, this is not hyperbole. He would not be alive if it wasn't for Triple H. And I believe that's probably true. You know, setting a, an but... alarm every night, two hour alarm clock to keep getting up every night to make sure that he hadn't rolled over the wrong way yeah. you know that's, but I also yeah. think that on some level that is enabling behaviour yeah. because because he always had someone to fall back on it meant that he kind of could keep going mm. I love I love this story though that they have with this match of of, of just being a Triple H like, you know Triple H who was with Sean you know when we would watch the match of Bad Blood the Hell in the Cell mm. the guy in the open shirt with the blonde hair is like yeah. he's the coolest guy in the world I yeah. love this guy and like that's only five years before this and like now he's just like Tippity tip, like as soon as his friend is gone, he's like turned into the tippity tippity top dog. Yeah, and that happened in real life as well. You know, he, he viewed himself as that, and like the idea of like Sean coming back and the guy not wanting him to come back because he's kind of deep down worried that he might expose him to be like the sidekick that he always was. You know, mm. they never went that kind of heavy handed with it, but like I love that subtext with it. No, and I do wonder if they didn't go heavy handed with it because Triple H wouldn't let that even be considered i don't think fans would have bought that yeah i'm a big deal deal, actually yeah the idea of this being his first match back in like you know four and a bit years since retirement i was watching at the time you know i'd maybe seen a handful of Shawn michaels matches at this point you know i had my uh i had my odd dvd here or there but like the thing that really stood out to me about, about this the most was like they presented this like he's not coming back if this is just the one the one match don't get your hope just the one match he's just back for the one little bit Nothing more than that, and they were, and for his first like year and a half of him returned, every time he was out, it was kind of like, don't get used to this, like he's going to be gone. I wonder if that was them not sure if this was going to be a full time run for him. So why would they? Why would they do that though? Because he's he's back. I mean, he's 
He's healthy again. He's drug free. He's keen to wrestle. I don't understand why they would keep holding him back like that. I think there's a part of it where it's like, you can be clean and sober and healthy and happy and mind, body and spirit all in perfect alignment. But if you're going to go back on the road full time, you know. That's true. It might might undo all the good work he's done. And I think maybe that's, that's the kind of me assuming that there's a duty of care that has been provided for him. The other side is then being like, well, think how much more money we'll make if like we think that he's only coming back for a match or two and yeah. he comes back for... Like, it was genuinely shocked that he, he came back in the first place and then it was... It's kind of like when Edge returned a little bit, I guess, mm. where you expect him to come back for maybe one or two and then it's like, oh, he's kind of on TV every other week except, you know, he was doing house shows and stuff like that down the line. Wow. So... Yeah, here we are at uh, SummerSlam 2002. The look of Shawn Michaels coming out here for this unsanctioned match. It's not even sanctioned. That's how how tentative Shawn's return is. <laughs> he's uh he's rocking the jeans. He's rocking the the cowboy boots. How do you rate the uh, the return look for Shawn Michaels here in this match? The entrance gear is shit. <laughs> Why? It's lazy. He's wearing a tank top, and jeans. What the fuck is that? Like, Bruce Willis gets to wear that and no one else, okay? <laughs> you are not Bruce Willis. Don't even try. But... He's got scripture on it. Yep. Yeah. Did you look that up? I did. It's Philippians uh, yeah, 4, obviously. 4, it says 13. That. It says that on the shirt. What does it mean, though? It's, it's basically like, um, like through God's strength, all things are possible or words to that effect. Okay, that's nice. Know. But I don't like the vest top. I mean, I, I'm not thinking it's vest tops normally, but like this and jeans for entrance gear, for his return, I just felt this was too casual. But... Midway through the match, he rips that top off. He does. And it becomes an iconic look because he's wearing cowboy boots. Yes. Blue jeans tucked into the cowboy boots. He's got a western belt buckle with a nice nice brown leather belt. He's become hairier of chest somehow since he's returned. He's always been a little fuzzy and now he's even fuzzier. It's a great look. It's really good. Facially, Mm. he seems like very different. I don't think I've ever seen someone who's both obviously aged yeah he's not the kid he was you know no, he looks a lot older he but looks like 10 years older he looks he does look 10 years old but he also looks like like he's had 10 years worth of sleep he's missed out on yeah he looks healthier yeah i'm not sure what it, and you know sometimes it's people like when they're kind of they have an addiction whatever it is it's just simply a case of like hey they, they gain a bit of weight back you know mm. they weren't you know eating right or whatever it is but he just kind of has this i don't know slight i don't Aura is not the right word. No, I think it he's works, got, He's yeah. got a bit of a glow to him, I He think. has, yeah. That his shitty Bob haircut is working yeah. very hard it's to take away haircut. from him. Oh my God. <laughs> but yeah, no, he, he looks older. But I mean, it's understandable. He's gone through sobriety and he's, he's come out the other side with a kid. And I think that's going to age you yeah. a lot. And... Mm, the glowing is probably because of the sobriety. Like he's yeah. he's healthy for the first time in his life. And here's here's the, here's the thing for you. I was going to ask: Does he seem nervous? Given that it's the first match back in however long, he looks so nervous. He looks terrified. So one of the things I really like about Sean, and I think it's what I liked about Rick as well, is that they kind of wear their fear right on their eyes. You can see yeah. what they're thinking, mm. and he looks so scared. And he's one of these characters, and I feel like. This is maybe somewhat a lost art and maybe for the best because I think when you are completely conflating your character and your real person, it probably leads to bad places. Mm. But this is a classic example of not knowing where the character ended and the person began. Was Shawn Michaels the character nervous in kayfabe? Was he like, I better look nervous because it's my big match back? Or was Mm. he actually 
nervous. Oh, I think both. I think so, yeah. yeah. It's a very, very, very special thing as well, having Jim Ross on commentary, who I think <laughs> is on rare form here, where he's literally like so excited that Shawn Michaels is back. Yeah. And he literally says, ladies and gentlemen, Shawn Michaels is back, and my personal dream has come true. No. Oh, that's and Sean sur- surprises everyone. You know, Triple H comes out looking all mean, all nasty. Sean surprises everyone by actually, you know, being the Shawn Michaels of old. And mm. he does have like this first few moments where he's running circles around Triple H and he seems like he hasn't lost a step at all. Yeah. And then they get into Triple H going, fuck this. And he just gives him a backbreaker right on the bad back. Yeah. They're telling you straight away about the casket match, the injury, the years away. And I, you know what? You said it during this match, and I am inclined to agree. I'm sure I've said this about a million people on this podcast alone, but I think he's the best seller of all time. Yeah, I think so. What is it about the fucking facial expressions about him? I don't really know why it's as captivating as it is. I think he's just, he's like a natural performer, and it probably goes back to him doing all those, all that time spent in front of the mirror, like watching himself, mm. seeing his own reflection, pulling faces and saying things. And like, he loves being the center of attention. And I think selling is a really effective way of being that. There was one of the talking heads they had in the documentary. It was the uh, the director for WWE for many, many years. And he basically, his viewpoint on it was, is that because if you watch Sean for a, a length of time, or you're familiar with him as a character, you know the actual pain that he is in in real life, like all the time. Yeah. So it's very believable like you you your mind is already set up to receive the selling and so to speak because you, you're aware of what his kind of his actual pain is like mm. but yeah he's so fucking good in this like he he screams triple h just does an elbow drop on his lower back and he's like yeah <laughs> and then we get the chair coming into play and triple h drops him right on it with a ddt and sean comes out with the crimson mask Joe, uh, how's Sean as a bleeder in your mind? Has, he, has, has, has age helped him find his <laughs> calm centre ground in, in bleeding buckets of blood? I mean, he wasn't bleeding buckets here. Mm. Triple H was at one point. Yeah. But no, Sean was a very, uh, it was a subtle bleed. Good, good, nice. Good flow. Li- nice, mature blade job. A trickle. You know, yeah. if this was a serving at a buffet, you go, good, you've shown restraint. There, yes, but you've exactly. also gotten your money's worth at the same time. <laughs> Triple H takes off Shawn Michaels' own belt and starts whipping him with it in a moment we could best describe as strangely sexy. We noticed at the start of this match that there were some women in the front row. There's like three, yeah, three, yeah. three, three ladies sat together. Who every time Shawn comes near them, they stand up and go, Woo! They're literally the best time. By the time the belt got pulled off, their faces were making me laugh so much. They, were, they looked like they were in ecstasy. They were yeah. so happy. It felt like one of them had told the other two, like, look, I've got tickets. We're in the front row for whatever reason. Yeah. Come to SummerSlam. There'll be some beefcakes at the very, <laughs> very least. All sorts. Big shapes, little shapes, all types. You'll have a grand old time, like. I reckon, because it was Shawn Michaels, they were reckoning that they'd get to see his bum at one point. And I think once <laughs> the belt came off, they were like, come on, come on, ladies. It's happening. It's happening. There was a point that I was like, I was so, in- I was so invested in this and so like buying all of Shawn's pain. Where he was like turned upside down in the corner and then Triple H had the chair and he hit him right in the lower back. Mm. Which like you rarely see. <laughs> I was like, I was just about to go, oh no, his back, his herniated disc. And you went, did he hit him right in the ass? Yeah, like he gave him a spank. 
And let me tell you, more people should go for the ass chair shot because it made a great noise. Oh, of course it did. Yeah, on the on the narrow backside of Shawn Michaels, it made a great noise. Imagine a chair shot to Rikishi. Be fucking <laughs> move over headshots. I think we found the new audience yeah. uh, that is much safer. That would be great. It's a good idea. No one got concussed being hit in the ass. No. Okay. Absolutely not. <laughs> I liked Earl Hebner in this match quite a bit. Why is that? Because. He's an unsanctioned match, so Earl is basically powerless to do anything. Right. And there comes a moment where I think they realise, shit, like, Earl has to say or do something, because otherwise, like, why even have a referee? Yeah. And he literally comes over to Triple H at one point, and he shoves him in the corner. He's like, I'm sick of it! I'm sick of it all! Use the belt! That was ridiculous! Use the chair! That was so... Stop it! Just stop it! And Triple H is like, all right, fine. You know, he, he's, he's been browbeaten, but, like, he doesn't sell it. It's really, really good. Jim Ross starts begging Earl to count quicker. He's like, come on, come on, Earl, quick count. Get this over with. I don't want to see Sean hurt anymore. God damn it, lad. <laughs> you were a fan of the color of this chair, you told me. It's a nice color. Yeah? I would take this chair to Dulux color match. <laughs> then paint one of our walls. Steel blue, we like to call it, you know? Oh, that no. actually would look quite nice over there. Yeah, yeah, no, I think if we were to replace, because we've got a blue wall here. Yeah, it is already a little it's bit. It's getting a bit... Bit bit old now, but yeah. I think if we were to recolor it, that blue chair would be a nice reference color. We need to pop down to a WWE show and uh, steal a steel chair, like yeah. you know, hopefully they still have them in stock. Like. Yeah, that specific blue one. <laughs> now, if Shawn Michaels is the man who has went up to the buffet and gotten, you know, he's gotten some salad to start to see he how he feels. He didn't even get any chips, Kevin. That's how restrained he was. And Triple H is basically... what All the chips <laughs> and onion rings and rice. Triple H is the kind of guy who's got a beige plate. Yeah, and the then beige he's got, plate, yeah. And then, then he's got his actual dinner plate. There's some noodles on there as all carbs. Yeah, when he's going to the blood buffet here, this man has got what could best be described as a heavy pour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he fucking opens himself up like the yeah. floods of hell good lord <laughs> Triple H gets hit with the chair he gets smashed with the belt they had a ringside Sean starts rallying now which is amazing to see because the fans are just like flowing with the energy that he's bringing <laughs> they actually are so over the top with their action that Michael Cole and Taz were the foul this is the best thing ever <laughs> I'm like low key becoming obsessed with Michael Cole really? like the more I learn about him the more I love him yes. like literally yes. just talking about this is actually making me well up a little bit I love Michael Cole so much he's been on a journey even the, yeah. even in the years <laughs> you've been watching you've yeah. been on a journey with Michael Cole that's incredible and I hated Michael Cole when I first started watching wrestling he was the worst <laughs> thing in it and that's you know there was a lot of stuff I didn't like about wrestling when I first started in 2015 but Michael Cole's come so far and then when you get to go back and you see him being really silly little coward man I yeah. love it but yeah there's a spot where they go through the announce table and Michael Cole crawls into the crowd and hides behind the little security fence and like he's just peeking out with his eyes and his nose and his little hands and he looks like a little mouse or something and then he hides away again Aww. it's so funny he's, he's like he's so aware that he's in the shot and potentially <laughs> ruining this big moment <laughs> and like this is just pure great bananas wild brawl stuff here Sean sends someone through a table he grabs the shoe off of the Spanish announcer and hits Triple H in the face <laughs> it's with this it's a good shoe because it's a big boot yeah the nice nice, uh, heel. nice heel on that yeah. one which leads to a great moment of uh, fourth wall breaking where King goes ha a heel for a heel <laughs> 
And then Jim Ross well legitimately done. just starts laughing. Goes, <laughs> a heel for a heel. Very good. <laughs> yeah, imagine Vince on the headsets. You ruined it. Shut up. Shut up. Sean's got to go away for another four years now. <laughs> you ruined it. <laughs> I love seeing Sean. And I think this is, this is maybe like 20-30% real life. The rest of it is kind of it's planned and it's the story of the match. But yeah. Seeing him get reinvigorated in real time for him mm. to be like, hey, I can still go. To then him being smashed and beaten up. To then him being like, oh, actually, now I'm actually, I'm back. Like, this is this is the real Shawn Michaels. It's absolutely fucking amazing. And I'm not the, like, if you were the big Shawn Michaels fan who'd followed him his yeah. whole career... I can't imagine what this would have been like watching mm, back. Would have been quite magical. Because for me, I remember watching this pay-per-view live being like, oh, wow, this is a great match. This mm. guy's good. No wonder he was the final boss at WrestleMania 2000. <laughs> All I'll say is this was a damn sight sweeter than watching Edge return in a gym for uh, yeah. a pandemic WrestleMania. That's <laughs> what I mean. Like. I like that you've rewritten it in your head to that's how it happened. He had a proper comeback and he then he went to go to the gym. He did. He, the, the big match was in the gym. That's all but it I doesn't matter because he eventually went to the gym and had a bad match and now that's all we'll remember. No, we remember Judgment Day as well, Joe. Don't no. forget that as Yay. well. Okay. <laughs> The mountain of omnipotence. Seeing a wrestler realize they still got it, that's what I love. We get the sweet chin music reversed into the pedigree from Triple H, which Sean manages to somehow reverse into a quick roll-up. Sean wins, and he wins in the most Sean way possible, just by being a little bit faster and unexpectedly better than the much stronger, more more dominant Triple H. Mm. And you have like maybe five seconds to be like, Sean can do it still, yay! And then we get the sledgehammer shot of all sledgehammer shots. This is what you've always been after, right? Yes, uh, Triple H holding the sledgehammer properly, which <laughs> I think this is the only time in his entire career he's done this. I think this is the only time he's used this as a gimmick sledgehammer because there's the big comedy head on it. I don't know if right. you noticed. No. So it's kind of like a rubber rubber thing. Well, he should just use that always. I think it's he... better than using a real sledgehammer and then like having to pretend as though you use a sledgehammer by putting your hand on the hammer bit that's it's, so stupid when you're used to a diet of the triple h hand hammer shots and but like, they goes, would just yeah. hurt your hand <laughs> it makes no you'd crush your fingers i mean that was the thing here it's like imagine how bad this is when he hits him full force with the hammer in the back I like that. but imagine if he added the hand as well no. that's, like, that's like a super punch as well as a hammer shot a sledgehammer with knuckles on yeah. i think i remember him saying in an interview once like they gave me the fake sledgehammer to use, you know, for a few matches, and I ended up hurting someone with it. So. Oh, yeah, I think I remember hearing yeah, that, actually, so the, yeah. So the idea was like, well, I'll use the real one, because I know I'm going to be more careful yeah. with it. But, like, it is, like, it is an all-time, like, horror show moment when you've got Shawn, like, he did it, he still got it, he's still Shawn Michaels, and then, bam, hit yeah. in the back. Jim Ross deserves... I was going to say a Slammy, but Slammys suck. He deserves an Emmy or, or an Oscar or whatever. His performance chastising Triple H at the end of this match. I love like, this because Triple H on his way out is like he's covered in his own blood and he's got his sledgehammer or whatever and he's just smirking. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> Who's the real winner? Yeah. Sean. But <laughs> and I, I'm like, that made me see a little bit of like, okay, maybe I see a bit of appeal for Triple H. As a proper evil heel. Yeah, as a nasty... Because like, I've always, as I was saying earlier, I think, I think he's very boring. And I think the idea of a big muscle man who's like, you know, like he's supposed to be the what's it, the cerebral assassin. He's supposed to be like a bully with mind games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that idea. Yeah, because that's that's not done very often. Um, 
and that's a little bit of this coming out, I think, and it, it was effective. And it, I like I like a good nasty heel. And I just love the the whirlwind of emotion from it being like, oh my god, he's back to oh no, he's gonna die to oh my god, he can actually do it. Oh my god, he's done it to oh no. Like if you've been fed a diet nonstop that like Sean probably shouldn't even do this match, you probably will see this and never again. Mm. And then he's hitting the back with a sledgehammer. Like there were people in tears in the audience. And Jim Ross said words to the effect of, Damn it, Helmsley, you son of a bitch. How's he even from this planet? Yeah. <laughs> Which is just a nice cherry on top. <laughs> I really like this match. Yeah, you loved this match. I, I, yeah, I, I was worried, though, that maybe Triple H wasn't the uh, the ideal dance partner for you, for Sean here. How did yeah. you get on with this one? I had a real hard time rating this match I, g- I gave it three and a half stars and i don't know if i'm being too generous or too harsh there'll be a lot of people who think you're too harsh i would say oh yeah i'm sure yeah. and i'm sure you're one of them uh, uh, you, you, got, you like your match like you, your opinion's your opinion I'll yeah be, you know. i think maybe this is a grower maybe once i know more about triple h and appreciate his wrestling style because mm. there were it's an uphill battle for me this because i don't like triple h i don't know if i've made that clear yeah on if only there was podcast. some sort of a, a a brief diatribe that we could <laughs> reference back to as a touchstone here but there were a few moments in this match where i started to see a bit of the triple h appeal yeah but just not enough for me to get over myself i guess like but, i don't but know was the Shawn michaels appeal there though like, yeah you know Shawn michaels was great look there's nothing wrong with this match Oh, except for the fact that it was way too long. It was way too long. And I think yeah. that's probably going to be an issue with all Triple H matches and probably a lot of Shawn Michaels ones as well. The bigger, bigger, longer uh, yeah. affairs or whatever I think if is. they condensed this down, it could have been a perfect match for me. But I think similarly, if they'd condensed this down, a lot of people who love this match would be like, oh, but I want more. It's interesting you say that because you know these guys would go on to have like a lengthy series of matches through <laughs> 02, 03, into 04 even. And I do remember them having a last man standing match at like a Royal Rumble around that time, which it was technically a great match, mm. but it was like an hour long and it was a draw on the end as well. That's the trouble. You've got two guys both heavily influenced by Ric Flair. Yeah. And I think <laughs> these guys, while they are fantastic opponents in the right setting, I think oftentimes with the click, there is an element of overindulgence of like... Yep. At what point is this match for for you guys, Mm -hmm. you know, as opposed to everyone in the audience? Yeah. And yeah, I think certainly Triple H and Sean, they they were very happy to be back together. And I don't think it wasn't the case that the click was back in full force because, you know, Scott Hall and Kevin Ash were gone and X-Pac was gone. But Sean and Triple H did wield a lot of power still, as you can imagine. I bet they did. Uh, Triple H, obviously, formally. But Sean was very much the informal power broker at mm. the time whereas in sean i don't think was ever doing matches he didn't want to do mm. or doing feuds he didn't want to do and a lot of the times you know sean's feuds would literally be like you don't have a dance partner at the pay-per-view here's heartbreak kid sean michaels and you know that would be enough really for people you yeah. know he did win the belt they did like a first elimination chamber he won the title and it's really weird the documentary they were like and it was so amazing that he won that belt again and he was he was a different guy this time, and the reign was different this time. It's like he was champion for literally like two weeks, mm. and that was the only time he had the belt in his entire return. You wow. know, even though he was back for seven or eight years, I think it was not. I'm not sure if it was a conscious decision for him that he's like, I don't want to be the champion anymore. Yeah, you know, I don't want to be that guy or whatever it is. But it's interesting. That I, is very interesting. I think the Shawn Michaels of old, if he had a big comeback, he would have wanted that belt. 
I think that shows a lot of personal growth for him. Yeah. I mean, one, that he didn't demand to be champion for longer, but also maybe he learned from his past and maybe he was able to recognize the fact that it was a really hard time for him when he was champion and actually it's not as easy or as fun as it looks from the outside. Yeah, I think there is this kind of self-imposed... I don't say self-imposed humility. That means like it's phony or anything like that. But I think for him, there was definitely an element of if I'm not that guy, mm. the top guy, then it means that you know I can do this. You know, because he, he wants to be grateful and live in the moment. Yeah. You know, he claims that you know everything in his career that came after his return was like extra. It was gravy and all that. And so maybe being the champion and being the guy who's you know meant to be drawing the houses and getting the ratings and all that maybe that was a pressure that he didn't want to deal with mm. you know or maybe he thought that it was time for someone else to do it yeah but it's interesting though that you know we said in the rob van damme episode you know he was a guy and there's a few others who still felt that sean was the guy who would keep you down and if mm. you didn't like him and he didn't like you then your career was pretty fucked like you know yeah. i don't think just because you're a born again christian means that you can't rub people the wrong way oh yeah obviously you know i think that's kind of a naive thing you know mm -hmm. you can be at peace and still have a lot of guilt oh yeah and you can still be at peace and be a inverted commas a good person and also be a dick yeah you can still be a piece of shit and i think there's maybe the only issue would be is that if you are very much view yourself as the person who's done the work and you've grown and you're this that and the other I think that some people can view that as you being aloof and mm. you being like out of step with people and just being kind of caring about yourself. But I think he does. I mean, you know, he does. I think the thing he was caring about most during this time was him putting on great matches and doing stuff that he wanted to do. And yeah. it went from being like, oh, Sean's maybe going to do a few matches to being like, Sean is like going to have the best match on the card. And, you know, Mr. WrestleMania was a moniker he had before. And the matches he had with... Cena with Ric Flair. We did that match for uh, the Ric Flair episode with Kurt Angle, which I think was one of your fave matches. We reviewed that twice, even on the, over on the Patreon there. <laughs> you know, this was him basically doing a series of victory laps. Yeah. He was a good guy for almost the entire, entire run. Wouldn't be a baddie, except for one, 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 one instance. Yeah. <laughs> Can you guess who the one person who thought that actually maybe we should do you as a bad guy and keep me as a good guy in this one brother maybe I'm oh yeah <laughs> Sorry, i should have said that <laughs> at least i couldn't say the politicking statement without ending in brother like how did i know it was me dude <laughs> we did this all the way back in the hulk hogan episode yeah and i think it was the i think other than cena and rob van damme at the ecw's one night stand this was the first time where i was like shit like there there is a fascination here for you to find mm. What was it about Sean and Hulk Hogan that was that special sauce of chaotic wrestling? Like, surely this couldn't happen when this guy's a born-again Christian and all his demons, their lampshades off his head. <laughs> He's on the straight and narrow. Doesn't even want to be champion anymore. How humble. How could mm -hmm. we have problems with, with people? How, what happened here? What's your question? I mean, it's like, how did these two end up butting heads, I guess? Well, um... <laughs> I think Hogan likes to see himself as the type of Christian role model that Shawn Michaels believes himself to be. <laughs> he says his prayers, he takes his vitamins. Yeah, but yeah. like he actually does it and mm. he's actually a youth pastor and he's actually helping kids on a like a day-to-day -day basis. Like whereas Hogan likes to say he's doing all that stuff while just getting himself over. Yeah. So I think on some level there's that. 
you know, I think maybe they see each other and realize and think that the other one's a fraud. And it's interesting because the way they mentioned in the documentary was that it was going to be good guy versus good guy, like Icon versus Icon, because they'd done stuff with them where, you know, they tagged together that and they shook the hands. That really well. And then apparently Hogan yeah. got cold feet. No, brother. I get over him, just me. And it's interesting because I would say if there was a situation where you put Hulk Hogan and Shawn Michaels side by side and you present them both as good guys and push came to shove, I thought fans would have cheered for Hogan over Michaels. Yeah, I reckon so because Shawn Michaels isn't as... um, As a character, Shawn Michaels isn't as likeable. Yeah, and he's got too many asterisks beside him. Yeah, he's Shawn Michaels. Like, he's always going to have people who are going to resent him for being the heel character that he was. And you screwed Brett. And you screwed Brett. Like, those two things, it just means, yeah. What I think is so funny is that, as we've often mentioned on this and other podcasts... Hulk Hogan's knowledge of the Montreal Screwjob is so bad that he legitimately thought that people would cheer for Shawn Michaels over him. Like he doesn't know what happened. He, he doesn't even know what happened. Doesn't know what happened. I'm begging you, watch one tape, man. I can't remember what is it that he said happened at the Montreal Screwjob. He thought it was at WrestleMania 17, <laughs> four, four years after the fact. He thought that the crowd were coming out and they were chatting, uh, "Brett screwed bread or whatever it was, brother, and. Uh, yeah, let needless to say, Joe, he didn't have a solid handle on the situation. Um, but here's the problem is that I think you take any two egotistical people in wrestling and you say, oh, don't worry, oh, this person's business. You know, and that was it. It's like, Terry's business. Mm. He wants you to be heel. And Sean's like, like, if I'm heel, I have to be the guy I used to be. And that guy used to say all sorts of shit. Like, yeah, so like, that, do you know what doors you're opening yeah, is that for what that? You want? Like, yeah. no, 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 Terry's fine with it. Terry's fine with it. He doesn't fucking know. He's probably never seen it. This is exactly the same. This is very similar to how Sean and Brett ended up falling out in the first place. Mm. Two lads who meet up and they go, well, you're going to do this and I'm going to do this. Mm. You okay with that? Yeah. You okay with that? Yeah. Okay, awesome. They go off and they decide what they're going to do. And then they tell their minions what they're going to do. And the minions go and they say, my friend says that he likes you and uh, he passes you a note. Whatever the fuck (laughs) it is. All the schoolyard bullshit. Everyone's, Everyone's okay. Everyone's cool. Everyone's on the same page. And then... The thing actually happens and all of a sudden oh, I don't actually, like I it. I don't like it anymore. Yeah, I don't know how and this is what's so funny about this is yeah. that I think I got so caught up in just the joy of seeing Hogan be embarrassed I didn't actually take a second ever in the past to go like this is the same thing. This is basically just miscommunication becoming but, real life heat. But this is still happening today. Yeah. Like in AEW and stuff, there's oh, still geez. stuff yeah. today yeah. that is being said in promos, which would have been worked out beforehand, which then after the fact, people are like, no, I don't like it anymore, actually. <laughs> it's like the idea of Shawn Michaels being like, Hulk Hogan wants to say he's Mr. Mr. Worker's rights, you know? <laughs> and Jason and George tries to start a union, this guy comes along. <laughs> Oh, brother, I'm fucking old. I'm tired. I'm tired. I work with fucking jabronis. And he's eating a burger. <laughs> no, he's eating hulkaroos. You know? <laughs> but uh, yeah, they they chalk it up in the in the in the docs to like it's just big egos, brother. That's all it is. And I just question how at peace can you be if you can so quickly get into that old mindset? Because Sean was very easy, quickly able to go to like. Saying the really nasty, underhanded, mm. slit your throat with the, the, the nasty thing he said in the promo it's about so Hogan. It's funny, though. <laughs> it is, it's so funny. We, we did see Hogan uh, being uh, portrayed by Shawn Michaels on Larry King Live, inverted commas. What I liked about that is um, Shawn Michaels wearing the bald cap to impersonate Hogan. <laughs> 
And he actually looks just like old Sean, like nowadays in Saudi Arabia with his yeah. bald head. I know, right? So funny. But yeah, no, I thought it was really, I th- honestly, I thought everything Sean did was hilarious. And like, yeah, you get what you ask for, don't you? He is the unlikely hero in the story against wrestlers who's been trying to get one over on Hogan in a public way for, for, for centuries. Mm. Feel. Like, it's Shawn Michaels. Yeah. You, sometimes you need a prick to get a prick. Oh, exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's so accurate. How many times have we seen that on Married at First Sight? Yeah. We're like, yes, the horrible guy's going after the other horrible guy. <laughs> Finally some good. They do talk about how Sean says, you know, uh, that there were some lines that he would not cross at certain points. Mm. But what is very funny is that you have Vincent Mann going, well, certainly nothing that we ever did would have uh, been uh, considered blasphemous. And then we mm. literally cut to him being like... Drinking the holy drinking water. <laughs> spraying it all over himself like Triple H. <laughs> I got given out to by a priest once for using too much holy water. What? For like putting my hand in too vigorously and splashing it like I was... That's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Dunking some bruschetta in balsamic <laughs> Like, fair enough if you weren't surrounded by priests who could just get more. Like, it's it's free. It comes out of the tap. You bless it. It's it just comes forever. Why are you complaining? Well, here's the thing. I I'm I'm not sure if it comes out of the tap, Joe, because in my experience at Catholic boarding school, yeah. it was in special bottles that had like it kind of a bottle what? you got isopropyl alcohol on. Are you saying they special bottles with a cross on it? They bought bottled holy water. I'm I'm a not saying building that, full of priests. That's what I'm saying. It's like I think I'm not saying that the priests are, are idiots. But I think that there's someone else is doing the con, not them. Fuck me. Someone else is doing the tap water. We're in the wrong like. business. I know, right? Jesus. Could have could have worked like, you know? I don't know if Sean if Sean like was like, it's okay, this is just tap water that Vince is using. It's not on the special bottle yeah. or anything like that. <laughs> it feels like Sean was kind of on a kayfabe crusade against all evil in WWE in this period of time. First he goes after Terry Balea, Hulk Hogan, and then he's embroiled in a feud with Vince McMahon who uh who takes a umbrage with his his inner peace and God? I don't know. This would have been a hard time at the youth pastor group to sell to the Bible study, right? That hey, I'm, I'm in a tag match with God this this weekend. I'm still amazed to this day that they did this. That they did this whole thing, and there wasn't a massive backlash in the media. I know, right? That's I think just mind blowing to me. It's this? so because, like, to me, this is absolutely hilarious. But I'm the least religious. I'm so agnostic. Like, I just do not. I'm so distanced from religion. Yeah. So of course, and even anti-religion. Like, and and yeah, anti-religion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. And so this is so funny to me because it has nothing to do with my lived experience. But like, I can only imagine, especially in America, where there is a lot of fundamental Christians. And especially a lot of people who are fundamental Christians who watch WWE. Heck yeah. That's a large part of their audience at this time, I would have thought. And the fact that there wasn't like a big outrage and like, we have to ban WWE programming. Like, I think it shows you how much they were flying under the radar. I yeah. Mean, it's part of the reason why I'm going to be doing this period for the next season of the Outshare podcast is because all throughout this period, it felt like they could do whatever. Like they were having, you know, we, we've done a pay-per-view from 2006 We've done a few, actually, uh, on Pay-Per-View Classique. There have been bra and panties matches, yeah. face-it pins, all you know, all sorts, blood, guts, and all that. And they're actually probably as edgy, if not trying to be a little bit edgier. And it's the fact that they're not hot at that point in time, mm. in a mainstream sense. So they could kind of do 
whatever. Yeah. So after Benoit in 07, that's yeah. when people were all of a sudden like, shit, they've been doing this? Yeah. All this time? Like, and then all of a sudden, you know, Linda runs for Senate. Like, yeah. you, did, you did this? What the <laughs> fuck? You know, they didn't, they didn't watch, they didn't care. You yeah. know, they thought they were above it. And I think their make good on it or their kind of get out of jail free or get out of hell free card for this <laughs> is Vince is the heel orchestrating yes. this. And you have Ted DiBiase, legitimate ordained minister, being like, no, it wasn't sacrilegious at all. <laughs> It wasn't. Mm. Believe is... me, the fraudster. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, the, the DBRC episode. It'd be a much <laughs> different episode now. Like, you know, originally when we were going to do the Ted DBRC episode, I was like, oh, you know, I might get my old friend on who introduced me to it. We'll just like talk shit about funny old promos. Like, no, nah, it's going to be like a proper fucking yeah. true crime yeah, podcast literally. now. Like, you know, <laughs> it's going to be one of those ones. Like, you know. But um, yeah, uh, Vince McMahon, very much relishing the opportunity to play God with God. So funny. Sean doesn't have a lot to say about it. I'm not surprised. I, I cannot... Gotta it must sh- have been awkward for him. God, at the very least, that's a difficult chat at the dinner table, right? And as well, like, internally, there must have been a lot of conflict there because I do think Sean has quite a good sense of humour, as is evidenced with the stuff against Hogan. Like, he, mm. he can be really mean. Yeah. And I'm sure there's a part of him that thinks this is really funny, but also a part of him that's like, but this is my identity and my community and my family, and I don't know if I like this. And <laughs> But it's not as if he couldn't say no. Oh, no, he could have done. He said no to a lot of things. Yeah. He was meant to be sent over from Raw to SmackDown during this period. Yeah, thought, and it clashed with his Bible study group. So that's it. Not happening. Yeah. And so he got like a smaller contract. He got paid less. Yeah. He got yeah. to do, you know, got basically got to tailor it, you know, and you know, when his schedule needed to be reduced, it got reduced and all that. But I guess that was kind of, you know, he had that rarefied air about him of being the kind of the legend who could still go and, you know... I mean, maybe their other excuse and their other get out of hell free card is the fact that they go so over the top with it that no Christian in their right mind could actually be offended by phrases such as, you and God are going to go straight to hell. (laughs) The idea of God going to hell is really strange to me. My personal favorite line is when um, Vince is like, God, come back. Look at him. You made him in your image and he's a piece of crap. So funny! I love sacrilegious Vince. It's it's so strange, and again, I don't. I I, I it's the one thing I can't explain because I think there's a lot of people that will go. This proves that Sean's Christian values aren't worth their salt. Oh no! Because if he do this, what kind of a? And it's funny that people He's always a say that first and foremost. People always say that because the you know aggressively not religious people yeah. in the world. Like, <laughs> like I'm not religious, but I know what they take seriously. Yeah, you know? Exactly. I think for me, I just think it's like you know. It's in his mind, if it doesn't make him recoil, mm. and I think as well, his very specific rules are, I can't control what's going to happen on the show. Yeah. I can control what happens to me. Yeah. And in all of that feud angle, Sean's pissed off. He's like, this is ridiculous. You don't say that. You don't make light of God. Mm. So but it's, it's, a- the, it's the evil Vince McMahon doing it. Exactly. And it's not like at any point they're like, oh, look, God is here. Like, even the stuff with the spotlight, it's obviously because Vince owns the company, he's getting some guy in the lighting department to do a spotlight on the ramp. It's never actually made out as like, oh, God is here. But everybody. there was a point when the, the fireworks went off in the corner and Vince was like, well, hang on. Oh, maybe, God, maybe God's a little bit more real than I thought. Like, you know, that was God being a face, not a heel. <laughs> well, God always works face in the big towns, Joe, yeah. obviously. And no more so were the implied values push to the test than the attempt to reunite D-Generation X in 2006 and seeing the little the little shot of this 
gave me the fucking quivers because I got a lot of this coming in my not too distant future. Quivers, good or bad? Um, just means that something significant is about to happen. Uh, they, like they, tremors. Yeah, they, it could be good, but it didn't initially feel like it was going to be bad. Yeah. Remind me, I think you were somewhat of a fan of Sean's antics in DX in uh in the nineties. Sean, yes. Mm. DX, no. I have not seen anything of DX that I liked so far. Everything that they've done that I liked was just Sean being Sean. Well, so him, you know... Being a prick. Being over the top. Being being really silly and mean and yeah. And yeah, he he could do that independently of of DX. I never thought that DX really added anything besides standing around and looking buff. (laughs) And then when they do try and be funny as well, it just feels like they're riding on Sean's coattails. Like they're just doing his jokes again, but like louder. So the idea of them returning and reuniting, I mean, how how did that strike? Like when you hear that, in, you know, the, when we're going through this, that hey, they're going to bring them back together. Do you think, oh, we're going to like, you know, start pulling our pants down again? Yeah, I was worried. Sticking, yeah, know, stuffing her dicks. <laughs> Sounding. Put, put, a of, put a bunch of stuff in her dicks. You know, <laughs> you know, suck it right out. No. <laughs> I started. I don't know what I was expecting. Like hoisted by my own batard. Um. Yeah, I thought it was just going to be them all being kind of really like edgy and stuff, especially because of the time. Because like when, 06, you know? yeah, when DX first started, it was like the start of edginess. But O six was when edginess started getting really fucking boring. Peak like, edginess. Peak edgy. Like and peak just, quirky at the same time. Yeah, date like rape threats as a joke and stuff like that. Like it was just about a very dark, bad time for humor. What a but, time to be a teenager, Joe. I know. <laughs> but Sean explained it in a way that kind of got it over in my mind, which is that. He said, for me, what's funny isn't being edgy. It's me being a 40-year-old guy trying to be 30 again. And that's funny because, like, you know, I think the first time I watched it, I missed the point. Yeah. I was I was watching it being like, these lads, like, it's, yeah. like, I thought it was tragic. Yeah. You know, and these lads, like, literally were like, we're going here to do a 10-minute promo. And then, <laughs> hang on, you're going to like it. The, 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 the payoff is cock. I mean, they showed a sizzle reel here that took you from telling me in recent weeks that you were dreading the the, the months and years ahead for me and what I'm going to be watching in the background. Years. Well, you never know, Joe. There could be. Hey, look, after the last one, there was a pandemic in the middle of it. It took me three fucking years. I'm not ruling anything out. Years. Hey, years of DX. But it took you from going like, I'm dreading this being on the TV in the other room when I'm trying to work. Yeah. To maybe a little bit more warm for us? Yeah, there was a, a bit that got me really interested, which is... Um, was it the green goo that they use? Because no. you're a fan of goo. I do like goo, but no. For me, it was the bit where um, there's like a scene where Vince, is, he's walking backstage, and this is like a summary of everything I love about this. Like, Am I right in thinking this is Brian Gerwitz's piece? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I love a bit of Brian Gerwitz. <laughs> Joe hasn't gotten over Brian Gerwitz revealing the secret of wrestling humor, which is putting things on other people's heads, yep. and it gets people over. Tiny hats. Except yes. Goldberg. That's the only yes. time it doesn't work. <laughs> Goldberg are mean to tiny hats um but there's a yeah there's a, a scene where vince is like walking backstage and he just meets all these different people and i've yeah. only seen it sped up but even sped up i was like oh this is great there's like chippendale dancers there's an alien yeah. he's like the boogeyman there's a guy with a cock enlarger and there's another guy with a cockerel yeah it's a proper like 
guys, like, I know we've all seen Austin Powers, but yeah. what if we watch Austin Powers again yeah. on Friday? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all done in one in one long take, like one shot. Which <laughs> this is one thing where Mick Foley was like, we should have won a damn Emmy for yeah. that. Yeah, he's so serious, he's completely serious, deadly serious. The idea of just doing a one shot is like automatic, like yes, Emmys. And like, I'm not not to be a snob or anything, but like Vince's trouser leg is caught in his sock <laughs> for like sixty percent of it. You ain't getting no Emmy for that, lads. Get a nice clean shot, Extra, like expert costuming. Yes, Emmy. Right. Rhea Seahorn isn't yes. going to get an Emmy, but that is right. <laughs> fine, grand. That's that's the world we live in these days. <laughs> Sean says, hey, there were some limitations on what I could and couldn't do, and there were things that I refused to do. So when they went suck it, Sean would just raise the microphone to the sky. Right, that's clever. And the idea was, was that his kids don't watch at this period of time, but he's like, maybe someday they will. Mm. And I just want to have a clean conscience that if they watch in the period mm. when I have avowed to be a Christian and good and clean and pure, that I'm not doing something that would make them think I'm a hypocrite. Yeah. That's a it's a really good principle to have. It is. I would say though that if you are someone who was were on the the hunt for implied hypocrisy, I think there's a many number of times where you can kind of go, well, Sean, you're here doing this, and if that, you're you know, looking out for it, yeah. But that's but it, like, like, there's a difference. I think you know you can always find hypocrisy in anyone, but I think it's good that he's just trying not to be. He's at least aware that that is easy to come across as and he's just trying not to do that. And I always find the people who are like kind of dead to rights want to prove that Sean's not a peace and not a born again Christian and not all the things that is applied to be. It's like, there's no shortage of sticks to beat Shawn Michaels over the head with metaphorical and otherwise. Like the man has done so, like again, burdened with shame is this man, Mm. you know? And it's like, oh, that's performative. It's like, the dude can't talk about, like, stuff from 20 years ago without bursting into tears. Yeah, right, actual tears as well, streaming down his face. And, like, I thought, you know, when we watched that, the Brett Sean head-to-head thing, you know, for the first part, thinking, all right, that's, it's a heated situation. He's been, you know, raked over the coals here. Yeah, it might be the first time they've talked about this you know the, the 21 doc the ain't anything mm. where it's like hey it's Sean Quill, all the, it's all for you it's all yeah. about you He's and him and Brett have been friends for years at this point like completely bygones have been bygones still for a long him, time and it know? still makes him cry and so he there. still feels so sorry so you know, sometimes you screw Brett is all you need if you want to hate Sean Michaels yeah. <laughs> you know you don't have to look for other stuff there Sean comes out of this kind of period with DX then where it's like the first time where you feel like they have cashed in on the old nostalgia of the old Sean Michaels but also kind of woven that into who this new guy is like you know it felt like people were very much accepting this is the new Shawn Michaels but also the main thing that made people re- revere him as being like the old Shawn Michaels was that his matches were just as good if not better mm. you know there's a match he had with John Cena at Wrestlemania 23 he was a, a late replacement because Triple H got injured it was meant to be Shawn it went to be Triple H and Cena you know past the torch and all that and Shawn stepped in you know quite late into the fold and that was, in many people's minds, the time when Sean Cena first showed signs of pure greatness. I mean, the clips from that match that I've seen look amazing. I love it. I mean, it's it's the match where Sean's working on Cena's leg for the whole time, then he gets up like, I'm John Cena. Yeah. You know. He's still got a lot of ways to go. <laughs> JR you know, says it's like, Shawn Michaels is like the finishing school. Yes. You have the match with Sean, and that's when you kind of polish off all the rough edges. Mm. It's like the he says it's like a postgraduate degree. Yeah. You know, and I think this is the period of time where people are like, okay, you were a contender for the greatest of all time before. Now 
it's kind of hard to argue anything other than you are like the greatest of all time in the yeah. ring you know and there was uh, some interesting talking heads on that point i think oh my god yeah they tried to get these people in for the documentary to talk about how great sean is and everyone's happy to say how amazing he is and then you've got rick flair who's like sean michaels is the greatest <clears throat> in ring blinking really hard performer he like squeezes that word out uh, like Vince, it was so painful to say. This is there with the Legends contract. You want this? Huh? <laughs> say it. Say it. <laughs> <laughs> say my boy is the greatest performer. And they actually included that clip again in the documentary. Yeah. It's only a 40 or so minute doc and they used it twice. It's so funny. It looks it looks so painful for Ric Flair to say that. It looks like it really hurts. I feel like it's one of those things where I think you could split hairs over who's the great because there's so many ways to describe it. And you know, you it was an early thing you you laughed at me about in in wrestling. It was like, well, Steve Austin's the greatest superstar of all time, but Sting is the icon, and Ric Flair is the greatest wrestler of all time, but Shawn Michaels is the greatest in ring, -ring performer. performer of all time. Who's the but greatest performer? Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to get cancelled but, you know. but I think like there's, I think you know I've, I've seen people describe like Brett Brett wasn't like Sean and that like Brett was not the as spectacular as Sean the ring yeah. but I think it was Dax Harwood from FTR we watched a clip with him and he was like Brett made you feel in a way feel for him in a mm. way that Sean maybe didn't Sean would make you feel that way in the match Brett mm. would make you feel that way about him like there's a reason we all still have empathy for Bret Hart yeah. in 2022 and think about him in a different way to other wrestlers. Yeah, Bret had this like special relationship with his fans that has never happened since. It's a unique enigma that can only exist in wrestling. At that time. But I think like if you are to somehow get an objective measure of like what it takes physically in the ring, selling, moves, whatever it is, Sean pretty much gets a 10 in all those categories yes yeah, i'd you know? say so yeah and I, I think that you it's very difficult to argue anything other than that and i think with rick you know ricky could have made that argument with but i think rick the the the, the, the moveset was maybe not deep enough or whatever it is or just it's just a different era i yeah, guess definitely him being retired by sean it feels like i don't know, maybe read too much into that Payne's clip there and he's made comments since you know his last match i think rick is very very i don't know ungrateful i think yeah like he gave him the best send off of the fucking world maybe he resents him a bit because because it can look to some people like sean gave him that instead of rick giving that to himself i mean the i'm sorry i love you yeah that's fucking amazing but that, iconic. that means nothing unless there's a guy standing up with the fucking tears and the fist that's like, it that's like rick what, is know? amazing in that match he yeah. puts on such a great performance and it, i don't think that would have worked with anyone other than rick yeah and anyone other than sean like it's magical because it's those two and you know you go back to the first episode and you know he's the guy who he would pretend to be in the mirror and that's that's yeah. it that's a very important moment the fact that that match has actually ended up being a source of conflict between the two of them is it really it is it is uh because sean made comments about rick coming out of retirement after that and that he didn't like yeah. and sean was like kind of hey you gotta do what you gotta do but you know we gave you the perfect send-off you know number respect for you that's all and you know sean got like you know an engraved rolex you know like last match ever oh, underlined you know, whatever it is yeah. it's I, funny they're so similar it is and it's just sad because I feel like you live long enough in wrestling and you have a certain mindset like Rick. And I think Sean is a bit like that as well. I think you just end up falling out. I think they'll, they'll come back together at some point. But Rick has fallen out with both Triple H and Shawn Michaels mm. over 
generally speaking, stuff to do with him not wanting to be retired or him not wanting to be quiet or whatever it is. I think it's hard, isn't it, when you really look up to someone and then they kind of disappoint you. Yeah. Because, like, yeah, do you just shut up about it? It's difficult because, like, they're co-workers, so I guess on some level, yeah, you are supposed to, but also it's wrestling, so mm. you're supposed to talk about this stuff. I, uh, I know, I remember, like, we did that match for the Ric Flair episode, and I remember thinking at the time, like, this is a really important match, you obviously have to see it, but I think the full significance of it maybe will only be apparent later when you know about Sean and his relationship with him. But while promoting that last match, Ric Flair was like, his go-to thing was like, it's going to be a hell of a lot better than that match in WrestleMania 24 of Shawn Michaels. Wow. So bad. So bad. That's shit. Like, well, it wasn't more memorable and it wasn't better. I don't know what to tell you. Like, Another important moment that happens for Sean around this time, him and Brett reconcile in the ring. They have the, the proper moment. He, he actually referenced it in his retirement speech, him and Brett kind of coming back together. Yeah, he only thanks two people in his retirement speech, and that's Triple H for saving his life all those times, and Brett Hart for forgiving him. I thought that was really sweet. I almost, like, I'm the biggest Brett guy in the world these days, and I'm like, I almost feel like he didn't, like, that's almost too much. Like, it's, I it's, love it. it is, I love that. He humbled himself. Yeah. You know? Makes me respect Sean a lot more, because, yeah, he didn't have to do that. No one... No one really wanted him to do that. It's interesting that you've come at Sean with this very, like, <laughs> this like unique position where it's like, you know, the story's been told, the reconciliation has happened there. And I feel so many of us wrestling fans who've been watching for longer just can't get past that. You what know? You mean? <laughs> As in, like, I, like, I remember I asked you at the live show, I'm like, Brett or Sean? It's like, it's still, like, it's still this, like, go-to lightning rod thing for people. Like, it's we can't accept the fact that they are totally at peace that's the thing like yeah if they're at peace why can't we be at peace i think it's fine to, to take to, you know to take sides and it's because it's a bit of a fun it's a fun thing i, I never yeah. you know i never take the brett versus sean stuff super seriously because it's all subjective and, and it's all done now isn't it it's, yeah. all, it's a lot more safe tribalism than a lot of yeah. other tribalisms and the rest of them. at this point it's just a marketing exercise really it's, it's which t which color t-shirt do you wear <laughs> like are you green peppers or red tomatoes like it doesn't mean anything i think uh, red peppers made a very selfish decision <laughs> red peppers screwed red peppers be no more red peppers here actually uh, <laughs> hold up ainsley harriet signs when ainsley harriet became he stepped forward the curtain came back <laughs> Ainsley Harriet was the mastermind all along <laughs> so um yeah I mean I have a bit of fun with it I think people who take it really seriously mm. um I love that you can have fun with it like you know that's, yeah. that's that's so like that's the nicest thing the fact that this thing the reason the conflict started in the first place is because they're like hey maybe we can make a wrestling feud out of this and we'll sell some tickets and people yeah. watch tv and have some fun and then like you oh no we've ruined all of our lives yeah. and now it's like wow all these years later People can have a bit of fun with yeah. it. That's nice. Well, that, all I really care about is that Brett and Sean are happy and, you know, that they mostly forgive each other. And they do. So that's fine. And that means that we can all enjoy it a lot more without it feeling weird and gross. Brett still has the reservoir in there if he needs to tap into it. Oh, I don't think Brett will ever trust Sean Michaels or anyone ever in the same way again. I think he has been irrevocably changed by that experience. The A&E doc had some little extra features that we had checked out uh, previously where it was like, you know, they, the two of them meet and they kind of go for a little bit of a walk and they have a coffee yeah, and they chat. Nice. And, you know, just, just two lads hanging out. Like, they have a lot it, in common. It is. I think what was most important about Sean's reconciliation with him is like, I made you feel all those things and I don't blame you at mm. all for you feeling them. You know, and I, and, and you know, the the acceptance of Sean's like olive branch that also is like not taking away from Brett's kind of suffering or anything like that. That's the key thing there. That's like 
that's how you apologize. Yeah. That's like, that's why so many apologies in wrestling don't stick is because it feels like, well, oh, you know, I was angry back then, man. It was the Attitude Era. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, <laughs> when you see Brett in this A&E doc, it's like when they start talking about it, he's like, I fucking hated him. You know, yeah. the anger is still I, he there. He wanted to kill him. Yeah. He fantasized about murdering Shawn Michaels. Well, as soon as I get that AK-47 <laughs> and that parachute. <laughs> By the way, the last episode where I was like, I said that story where it's like Brett like being like, I don't know, then I got on to get a parachute and fly into Titan Towers and kill everyone with a machine gun i was like did i dream that like i, I was so desperate to find it. i was running through the book trying to find it like ah, he, didn't say it. he did it's okay he it's did all right. definitely say it yeah so Shawn michael's path to redemption or as you say the road to heaven and sometimes you it can be here fixing to get into heaven we're talking about Shawn michaels and the undertaker back again wrestlemania 25 Oh my god, we're literally, this is 12 years after Bad Blood. Do you reckon, for wrestlers put in positions like this, do you reckon on some level there's a fear that, you know, like a trauma response even, you might call it, that like reminds you of your injury and it, or it might happen again, but this time it might be worse? What, you mean as in like Sean being in the ring with Undertaker thinking... Yeah, he's the one who who ended my career the first time round. What if it happened oh. again? I think though in that situation, like particularly the casket match thing i know right when someone gets hurt with a casket we all start pointing out the under the nearest undertaker (laughs) where is he where's the funeral director get him (laughs) over here i think that falls into the camp of freak freak accident no i know i'm not saying it's logical or Mm. or like you know that it would happen again but i think on some level it's the same as like okay you fall down the stairs the yeah. next time you go down the stairs, you're going to think about falling down the stairs. That's very true. If you yeah. get in a car accident, the next time you get in a car, you're going to think about the car accident. Like, I think if you ever hurt yourself in any specific way that's like slightly, you know, weird. Yeah. Anytime you come into contact with that thing again, there's going to be a thought in your head that goes, that happened before. Yeah, well, see, after I had my car accident, you know, all those years back, you know, it was, yeah. like, you know, I, I, I happened driven like actually driven maybe once or twice i've rented a car like you know since yeah but uh it was a while before i could get in like a an uber or whatever mm. you know even the you know, taxi or whatever and like it wasn't even, like i didn't get badly injured you yeah. know it was it was a, a minor you know injury for me at best so i think like most folks that is the case i just wonder if that would add a, an element of fear to sean's experience here like not even a logical one but just on some animal level that's the thing right that's why i think that sean is he's that level above he's that rare talent that rare breed at this point and i think undertaker as well because this match there's a lot of reasons why they would think oh shit like you know maybe something could go wrong we're both old we're both older now this is a, a big hyped up moment. It's it is it is it's the only match that was advertised at WrestleMania that was really worth you know people talking about that they were actually excited about the WrestleMania. You would 25. know. You were here. I would know. I, Joe, we were told that Steve Austin was going to be returning in Texas. Wow. It didn't happen until fucking twenty twenty two. All those years later. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, you know, the thing about it that makes me think that you know that's not the case and he's the rare breed is that I don't think I can ever point to a match where I feel like two guys are one million percent of their characters the whole time this mm. is just like you know the way you see people who can like speed run a game with their, their eyes closed basically yeah. I feel like this is them mm. you know them in this match is me on Koopa City on Mario Kart 8 right. when I'm in a really good mind frame they, they're like they're just they know the other guy a million percent everything they know what's going to happen they can react to 
And it's funny you mention that because this match does have a quite scary moment in it. Yeah, it does. That would certainly make everyone think about injuries and and scary things and end you know careers ending prematurely and all that. We watched this match first thing this morning, mm-hmm. settling down, and I was entombed in goosebumps. <laughs> and I've spent the last three years professionally slagging off the Undertaker, which made me think I was maybe immune to, to something. No, turns out all Kevin needs to do is see sixteen tombstone pile drivers with a slightly aging up Undertaker in a row. <laughs> With uh, Bobby Heaton mixed in with Michael Cole mixed in with, uh, you know, gongs and that's it. I'm the biggest Undertaker fan in the world again. Yeah. I love this video so goddamn much. It's a great video. It's it's very cool. It's a video package summarising both of their careers, basically. So you get to see, first of all, The Undertaker start off from his first debut when he's got the purple gloves and the white face. (laughs) And he's basically a child growing up, becoming the biker taker growing up even more, like becoming the dead man, the streak, all this stuff. And then the one for Sean is, it was it felt extra special for me because every single match they mention in this little video package is one we've done for either this episode or yeah. the last one. Oh. So like, you know, un- normally when I see these video packages, I'm like, oh, cool spot, but it doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah. But this, it meant something to me. For the first time ever, I was like, God, yeah, you... I, you know, I, I really felt like I was watching Sean grow as a person because... You got to see, you know, Ladder have, Match, I've seen Iron him grow. Man, Ric Flair, yeah. all this, yeah, yeah. And not only that, but I have the context of knowing what was going on in his personal life at the time and also in the industry. Yeah. So I feel like I've got this massive picture of context and just seeing Sean age up and grow and change and stuff like this was... It was really cool to see. Yeah, I was glad we left this kind of towards the tail end of our watching because it felt like, you know, the the the, the culmination of a very long journey from a, a guy who, you know, got in very, very young and had a lot of ups and a lot of downs. And I think wrestling is at its best when you can just be like, look at this guy and look at that guy. And that <laughs> alone makes you go, yeah. <laughs> all the all the added religious symbolism and imagery is is just gravy as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Undertaker and Sean talking about the light and the darkness. You see, that's interesting because <laughs> I maybe it's because I'm not religious, but for me, it didn't feel religious as it much as it felt like I don't know cowboys. I felt like cowboys. West. It felt like Westworld or something. Like yeah, white hat and black white hat, hat black yeah, hat. They were yeah. both dressed kind of as like goth cowboy and white cowboy, and <laughs> it just felt kind of I don't know. Like wizard cowboys. And he did also, of course, as well, get a little bit of the arrogance of the old Shawn Michaels, where at one point he claims to have eternal life. <laughs> but a cocky brass Shawn Michaels, he thinks he's going to live forever. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> the entrance of Shawn where he descends from the heavens. I love that. And he's dressed as White Undertaker. And he comes out on this, like, on this big pole with a chair on the top. Very rickety. Very rickety. Very but rickety. it really reminded me of. You know, we go to Blackpool maybe once or twice <laughs> a year. And uh, it reminds me of those rides at the theme parks where they lift you up in a bunch of chairs and they yeah. like pull you down and push you back up again and pull you down. Oh no, my Tango Ice Blast! <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what the ride is called, it isn't is, it, in it Blackpool? It's Actually, called... no, they lost the ride. They lost it, the branding. It was, yeah, it was all like ripped off the last time. Yeah, we were, so, so it was just, just the blast. Just the blast. <laughs> <laughs> it's mad to me that Shawn Michaels has kept his entrance theme music his whole career especially seeing as his as his besties with triple h he's had like what 17 intro themes variants joe he's had variants well you know variants uh... 10 like absolute different songs i mean but Shawn I... michaels has always just had sexy boy 
because it's him and it's timeless. It's it's him. It's just the, the music is him. It's like Vince McMahon and No Chance. I mean, you but know, you what can't I love hear about one it, without the other, you know? What I love about it, though, is that it's not timeless. It feels very dated. I like that. I like it. It feels nostalgic. He's like a, he's like a light for whatever the mid-90s was. Yeah. You know, that vibe, that energy, you know, it's there. Gen and, X. <laughs> yeah, and I just... But it's weird because, you know, you hear that music and you can see him like chewing gum and looking at himself in the mirror with Sherry or you can see him in that like being on his hands and knees and praying to the gods above. I'm just a sexy boy, Lord. <laughs> you know, I am but your humble, sexy boy. You know? <laughs> and both of them feel fitting and right. Like, yeah. you know, and I can't explain it. I would think, though, that if this is like the first time you've ever seen Shawn Michaels and you're like, hear that music yeah like, why what? <laughs> why is he an old sexy boy <laughs> i love the kind of compare and contrasting the demeanor of this Shawn michaels with the one we saw against the undertaker before where like he was you know kayfabe terrified against the undertaker in hell in the cell the door closing behind him but then trying to be all like cocky and arrogant yeah. smile and dance around here he just has this like tough guy grimace on his face that he doesn't even blink the entire time undertaker makes his very 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 long entrance mm-hmm. every move in the match feels somehow thought out yeah i would doubt this was you know hyper planned if that makes sense right you know it feels like these guys just kind of know each other very well i mean i can't review this match fairly because i was in the audience mm. and this was something of a religious experience when i saw it live Be careful using those words when you talk about this match That's, uh, yeah it was something <laughs> of a spiritual experience right. when i it was really fun. There were loads of people all chanting different things. Uh. And the two lads beside me were the most markiest marks in the world. Really? It was so pure. It was so... They were like, kept turning to me going, but every time Shawn Michaels has beaten Undertaker before, he's had DX to help him and tonight he's on his own. Oh, they uh, English? Yeah, of course they were, Joe. They're the type of people they'd interview outside Insurrection or something like that back in the day. <laughs> They've got so. the belts. They, exactly, yeah. They're like, he ain't winning this, you know? <laughs> it's mine. So, like, I want to ask you, like, did it... When they started and they just went in there, did it have that immediate like, oh, I'm seeing something special here? Or did it have to warm up to you? Like, how, how did the intro package get you sufficiently psyched into the match? It really did. I was not excited for this match beforehand. Um, I still haven't gotten into The Undertaker. He's not, yeah. he's not quite as low down as Triple H, but... I feel I've done no favours. Yeah, that's the thing I've I'm learned. I'm sorry about that. I've learned too much about him. The worst Undertaker yeah. bits you've heard about. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's all the stuff of him as an old man and a, being a libertarian who loves guns. But also the the wrestlers caught backstage politicking the the looking the other way when there's hazing going on and the matches you actually wa- you know, watched for pay-per-views that we review over yeah. on Patreon. You know, you saw, you saw a lot of worst taker let's yeah, just say yeah exactly yeah. so i realize i've not had the best introduction to the undertaker but this video package really did get me going i was really excited for this did he seem like when he was in the ring because i mean you know it's a, a man in eyeliner who is very Which, orange we have to talk about the eyeliner Please. i hate i hate the eyeliner it really upsets me because and it's just you're, like you're, you're a reformed emo as well. So yeah, this is coming this from a place why of, it you know, upsets me okay. so much. And not only am I a reformed emo, but I'm a reformed emo who was, you know, an emo at the time of 2005. So we've all been there with the waterline eyeliner technique, which does no one any favors. It makes our eyes look small. It's when you waterboard your eyes. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> and 
he, it, I think it's why it upsets me because that's how I used to do my eyeliner and it looked so bad and I didn't realise how bad it looked until a few years later and then afterwards I was like why did no one tell me that it looked so bad I love the idea of you going over to the Undertaker being like I see a lot of myself in yeah you, I do man. and I just I wish someone had done to to me what I'm about to do to you right now which is just come here come here smudge 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 that's all it takes all it takes there you go you're done all it needs is a little smudge with the right tool and it would look beautiful he'd look really good he'd look gothic but pretty in the eyes which I think is what he's trying to go for but he'd also look sinister whereas with the eyeliner being so thick and so in his waterline it makes him look old and tired. Yeah. It's not flattering. It makes his eyes look sore, I think. Yeah, and it would be sore because he's going, it's like basically touching your eye. But you know what, in spite of that, and in spite of the fact that I literally know it's not the case because I know the man's history of injuries and where mm. he would have been at this point in time, in spite of all that, in my head saying this is not it, my my wrestling soul says this is peak Undertaker. He Physic- looks... Physically... Yeah, he looks amazing. This, he, he's, like a car, he's, like, he's a cartoon He is like a cartoon character. The way character. he holds himself. Maybe it's because he's with Sean. He has a big kind of boxer stance. Maybe. And Sean's a little smaller guy. I've said it before. But I love silhouettes in wrestling. Yes. It's something that I find very important. And I think the older guys who maybe came up through a world before HD TVs understand more about the importance of a physical silhouette. Like he's, he's playing for the audience in the back. Yeah, like, exactly. You, know? yeah. you can see him yeah. from miles away and still understand, oh, he's a monster. Yeah. Like he's just got such a gorgeous body shape. He looks so unreal with those long legs and those yeah. massive shoulders. And that's what I love about, you know, anytime Sean and Undertaker are together, I think we said it in the Bad Blood episode, but it feels like everything that these guys do individually themselves enhances the character mm. of the other guy. Sean is quick and fast and he has to be quick and fast because Undertaker is big and strong and he's got a crazy long reach so you got things like Sean like feigning an injury like in the first five seconds like oh no I hurt my bad leg and he's like ah you know he's running after him yeah. you know all little kind of tricks like that to make it believable that a smaller guy like Sean can break down a big guy like the Undertaker and not by being like you know a Brian Danielson or a Bret Hart he's not like a methodical chop down the tree he's like opportunistic He's sneaky, you know. He is uh he's kind of effervescent a little bit in this mm. match and I fucking love it. I think it's amazing. Even though throughout the entire match I did notice Sean's ponytail slowly migrating across the circumference of his head. That happens a lot in his later career. I never you know what? I never really noticed that he was bald all throughout that run until retrospectively going back over the last few years. Aww. Man, he really like Randy Savage, you should have hooked up with Shawn Michaels. Yeah. That's how you cover it up, brother. Hogan, too late, man. I'm sorry. Yeah, no. Too, too late, you know. The hardest part of The Undertaker, his ass, hits the hardest <laughs> part of the ring. The ring apron. That mm. was uh, quite a sight to see. Sean dives to the outside. And this was awesome. I love this. This is Undertaker having a bit of ring presence, I guess. Where mm. he kind of pivots and Sean just goes splash. He swats mm. him out of the air. You were a fan of this moment. Yes, I like this. Maybe it's because it's like... The amount of times where someone is doing a dive where they literally can't see where they're going. So I guess it kind of made it seem realistic that he was kind of estimating where he would land. Yeah, I don't know. I think since watching the Sabu episode, I've appreciated more the art of a intentional botch. Yes. I don't know if that's a fair term to use, but like it actually annoys me sometimes in wrestling how perfectly all the moves are done. It's like, well, that's kind of exposing the business really, isn't it? That would never happen in real life. That's true, yeah. Especially if you're doing a dive behind you. How You can't, you've got eyes on the back of your head. Why would the wrestler be standing perfectly ready to receive your attack? Like that wouldn't happen. Damien Book's got to learn how to botch, Joe. (laughs) Yeah, I think there's a time and a place for it. I don't mind occasionally in matches, like the occasional match doing 
doing that style. But if a whole show is just full of the perfect moves, I get a bit bored of that. Yeah, we want a variation. I want a bit of variation. I want a bit of tension. For sure. Undertaker then caused what I could best describe as the biggest scream I've ever heard you utter while watching wrestling. Yeah, since I played Echoes of the Eye, basically. Is this match the Outer Wilds Echoes of the Eye Spoiler alert, very scary D- DLC yeah. where you recently screamed louder than I think I've ever heard you scream in a video game. But yeah. Mamma Mia, what happened to you with The Undertaker? From your vantage point, this seen this for the first time properly. He, Shawn Michaels is outside of the ring and The Undertaker is like, he runs against the ropes and then he runs, he does a big dive to the outside and he is so huge and he has such height and he just flies like a flying squirrel kind of like the way that sean might leap off the top rope except sean is a tenth of the size of the undertaker and he's doing it from the ground he's not doing it from you know he's he's jumping from the ring over the ropes over the ropes outside incredible feat and sean grabs a cameraman and pulls him into the way so that sean doesn't get hit but the cameraman does but what happens is this is the undertaker just as he's about to land i don't know what happens here he, he twists or something. Or he like, doesn't twist. His body just... He, yeah. It just like... It, it feels like he's he's got momentum and he's going to keep turning, except he doesn't. He just plummets. Yeah. And lands on his head. And it's so scary. You were... Because first of all, I was popping for the move. I was yeah. like, what? No way! Rise. And then I was like, oh my fucking God, we nearly saw a man die. And you, the first thing you see is Undertaker literally be like, whoa! <laughs> just yeah. like, you know, eyes eyes wide open and everyone else as well like sean looks terrified the cameraman looks terrified the people in the crowd look terrified the commentary is dead yeah, they're not they saying stop. anything they're just like i think no they're knows. just listening just like waiting to hear has the undertaker died in the ring well, you can imagine, at wrestlemania <laughs> you imagine now from my vantage point watching it uh you know up up in the kind of couple of rows back yeah we see the Undertaker dive. I can't see below the barricades because the barricades were there, obviously. Did you, and all were you even able to see then that he landed wrong? I was able to see, like, what I saw was Undertaker literally vertical, but his head pointing down, his yeah. feet up, going down behind the barricade, and then everyone going, ah! And everyone looking really worried. Mm. So, like, we all thought he was, like, he landed on his head and he broke his neck. Yeah. Match over. It was good while it lasted. We had a nice run. It was fun. Imagine if that's how the streak ended. Jesus. It would have been so sad. What do you, what are you, I'm interested to know what you thought went wrong here, like. With the move. Who was, do you think someone was at fault, necessarily? Or was it just a freak accident? I think it was a freak accident. I don't know. This is the trouble. I'm the least physical person ever. I don't, (laughs) I don't do stuff like this, obviously. (laughs) Joe rarely dives. I'm a podcaster. Yeah, <laughs> don't sometimes, have to do it. Sometimes she'll jump on the couch and go, <laughs> but that, that's usually it. Like only at WrestleMania as well, mate. <laughs> if I had to guess from my perspective, it just looked like the Undertaker just didn't turn, like he just didn't have enough momentum, yeah. or he didn't tuck his head, or he landed weird. It seems to me like the Undertaker. I don't want to say is to blame. It seems really blaming. Like your fault, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but like I feel like I don't think it was anyone else's responsibility. I feel like if there was a mistake that was made, it was the Undertaker's mistake. Yeah, I think Undertaker. You know, he's been asked about it in interviews. He just kind of talks about like kind of the accident or the mistake, and yeah. he was all for it because he was like, oh, I thought it made you know. The match was like, oh yeah, know, it made it way more dramatic. He's right, and it is. It's honestly, I would put it up. Not obviously physically, it was it, the impact long term wasn't as bad. It was a freak thing and all that, but it had definite vibes of like Hell in a Cell, McFoley. Oh my god, yeah. 
we're getting all of this after this thing has already happened you know mm. in wrestling when your your mind's attuned to think stuff ends when certain things happen and then you get a whole match afterwards yeah. it's like always very very mind-blowing he so he used it kind of like i was just you know i didn't you know didn't make the dive you know fell a bit short so lucky the blame was put on the cameraman oh but the funny thing is he wasn't even a cameraman that's, no i think he's a wrestler yeah that's sim snooker that's jimmy snooker's kid oh, who right. was uh, trying to get a look into wrestling at the point in time yeah. and obviously this was something where it's like oh you, you didn't catch the undertaker on the big event you, you i don't know kid. how you're supposed to catch someone when you've got a, a fake camera, camera I know, on right? you. like i know that I know obviously he's not a cameraman so it's not like he has to protect the camera but even still you'd have to put the camera down to grab the undertaker like there's a big guy you can't yeah. catch him one hand and the difficulty as well is that like it's it's so complicated because you've got like a spot where something needs to be caught we see people get missed all the time in wrestling yeah. it happens you know just watch a Miz match around this time <laughs> it happens all the time but like you have Sean first he pushes the referee out of the way because right. he doesn't want the referee to be knocked out so you know he can still capitalize on this right then he grabs the, the, the cameraman and then he has to wrestle with the cameraman because the cameraman has to be like oh no let go of me yeah so i think there's people online who, who are of the belief that sean accidentally pulled the cameraman too far back in the brouhaha mm-hmm. and the taker was never because he's up like where the the steel meets the the, the ring aim. he's up where the steel meets the kind of ring mats basically so people are like there's no way he was ever going to make it mm. but i think it was just like maybe eyes bigger than the stomach in terms of how much the dive can be but yeah that's one of those rare holy shit moments i would say one of the most like crazy unplanned holy shit moments ever you yeah. don't expect undertaker to be pulling out something you would see in a sabu match no you know and also as well sabu would rarely be doing that in front of you know seventy thousand people and at wrestlemania yeah the sight of seventy thousand people being like that's it he's dead yeah is, is a scary one indeed folks oh my god and Sean does the Lord's work here when he kind of buys just enough time. He goes in and he grabs the referee and starts shaking him, saying he wants him to count. And we go through this 10 count where Shawn Michaels, my God, this man's getting his grade 10 in his speech and drama today with this, <laughs> you know, the silent performance where he's on his knees. He starts off scared, then hopeful, and then he gets excited like, mm. I'm going to win, I'm going to end the streak. And the crowd are. Because they don't want it to end. Because everyone's like, "Oh, this is going to end it now." Yeah. It's bullshit. And then when Taker starts getting up, and of course Taker is like, "He's slipping. Oh, he's not he's there." He's so good at this. So good. Of course, like of course Masterful. he would be. Like, yeah. there's no one else at this time with more experience in the ring than him. Like, of course, if anyone knows how to time a ten count, it's the Undertaker. And you know, he's fucking giddy. You can tell where it's yeah. like, "I landed on my head. I'm somehow not dead. I can feel my hands." And he is we- toying with everyone. We got him. Yeah. <laughs> and then Sean, like when it gets to the nine count, he gets angry angry he's just fucking it's not like oh i didn't win the match it's like fuck you you landed on your head and you're still gonna continue wrestling me what is actually wrong with you man (laughs) we have a great line on commentary from michael cole who goes sean michael's light will outshine the undertaker's darkness i was like that's so poetic michael cole that's lovely and then jim ross goes and a evilness Good job, Jim. Well done. Good addition. <laughs> he tried. He did. He did try. There's some great moments here. Sean trying to skin the cat, which is when you flip over the ropes, you hold on to the ropes, you pull yourself back up, and you land back on your oh, feet. Oh, he got caught in his neck. That that was scary, yeah. Because yeah. that's a scary move to do in the first place, mm. and he nearly chokes himself doing it. And even scary, the Undertaker grabs him. You pointed out to me something that Sean does that you complain all the time that other wrestlers don't do, mm. which is wriggle wriggle hmm. when, explain to me what you mean by the wriggling like is it just that he's what jigging about when he's in a move when you get picked up if you got picked up you'd wriggle 
Yeah. Anyone who's been picked up, you wriggle. Yeah, you're very wriggly. Because... <laughs> <laughs> Because it's weird and it's not very comfortable. And oftentimes when you're being picked up, I mean, not for me as an adult, luckily, but like I remember when I was younger, I'd get picked up by people and I wouldn't like it. And when you're getting picked up by someone without your consent, you try and get out of it by wriggling. Because if you wriggle, they might let go. Try pick up literally any cat ever. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> it really bothers me in wrestling when wrestlers get picked up for a move and then they just lie there, like limp, like just waiting for the move to happen. Like, oh, well, there's literally nothing I can do. It's like, well, that's not very good selling then, is it? Like selling shouldn't mm. just be, it should go beyond just, you know, communicating faked pain. Yeah. It should also be part of telling the story about like, who is currently winning the match and who's losing mm. and who's got the power and stuff like this. And I just think a little wriggle here and there goes a long way. It goes a long way. And Sean is the master of the wriggle. And he is, he's the master of like putting thought into the parts where wrestlers would be like, okay, right. Done that bit. Now on to the next bit. Yeah. Like there's a point from this point on in the match after Sean kicks out of this tombstone, he can't stand up on his own two feet. And I actually was, you know, I've watched this match like probably 10, 20 times at this point. And I noticed here, like, literally every time he's either holding on to The Undertaker or holding on to a rope or a turnbuckle or something, he's never stood up just fully like, ah, I'm okay, because mm. he's taken a finishing move. He's had a, something big happen to mm. him. It's a level of care that probably doesn't go into most matches. And it's the thing where at the end of a match where people are like, oh, that was amazing. You don't go, oh, because he did this, this, and this. It's yeah. the stuff that it's only upon, you know, really going over and over and over. They're like, oh, shit, there's all this extra stuff mm. in here to pepper it in there. We get sweet chin music from Sean and Undertaker kicks out of that and he's been shocked non-stop in this match. It is strange to see the Undertaker's chest as red as his voting intention in the US midterms. <laughs> That's right, everyone. He just got a sick burn in spite of the fact that it's one of the greatest wrestling performances I've ever seen. <laughs> Can't stop me. Coming for you, Undertaker. You get a moonsault from Sean. He gets caught again. Wriggle, wriggle, wriggle. But he can't escape another tombstone. 17-0. Undertaker... Picks up the win in what is considered by many to be the greatest match of all time. Really? There seems to be a lot of them. A lot of those. I think this one is... Uh, I mean, for me, I'd certainly put that forward. I'd say WWE match, you know, their style. This is the this mountaintop of a match that will make Vince McMahon smile and Dave Meltzer smile at the same time. Mm. If you care about such pointless... Like, two least likely people yeah. you'd want to actually... <laughs> Yay. But how did you get on with it? I mean, I don't think I've ever seen you get hooked by a promo package mm. with again another opponent who you weren't necessarily thrilled to watch but how did you get on with uh taker and Shawn michaels at resume 25 this was really good stuff yeah i really loved this match actually mm. i gave it four stars out of five i took off a star because it was too long ah, you, I don't, you don't I like the 35 it, plus I knew it would be too long yeah yeah and it, it's fine for long matches, I think, if it feels like at the end I'm like, yeah, that didn't drag at any point. But there were points where it felt like this did drag. And maybe that's because, you know, there was a big mistake here that went wrong and they probably had to kind of reconfigure some things around that. That's fine. Whatever. But yeah, for me, it's not a perfect match for that yeah. reason. I think, I think, though, in terms of a perfect response to an imperfect situation mm -hmm. that no one could have planned for. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think that is... That is one of those rare, rare moments in wrestling where I think you could have taken one of those guys even and replaced it with someone else and that would have been a very different scenario. Yeah. That, how that whole thing transpired or anything like that. Oh, I'm glad you liked it. I really am. Because I think that it's a, it's a bit of a grower and I know that he's not necessarily your guy, The Undertaker, but 
I think Sean is very effortless at getting himself over and someone else over at the same time. Mm. You know, and that's something they said about Sean was that, you know, all throughout his career, even if people through grit and teeth didn't like him, everyone always wanted to work with him because mm. he always put forward the best version of them because he wanted to make it out that he was, you know, wrestling someone worth wrestling, I guess. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. They had a great storyline then from, from this, you know, point on where Sean, you know, took a sabbatical for a few months. He was gone. He was nowhere to be seen. And the story that they then for the next year's WrestleMania was that Sean wanted another go. He wanted to take on The Undertaker. Like, come on, I know I can do it. I was so close. It was close as anyone ever before. And Taker being like, nah, like you had your go. Like, sorry, <laughs> that's it. And then Sean would be like, right, I'm going to win the Royal Rumble. You're the champion. I'll win the Royal Rumble. I'll come at you that way. And Sean loses the Rumble. And he's literally in like tears going, no, I've lost my chance. So then his next plan is he costs Undertaker the championship. So he's like, look, I've spat in your face. I've pissed you off so much. Now you have to face me. And Undertaker's like, right, I will face you, but I want your fucking career and you have to retire if you lose. So they have the rematch the following year. I didn't think double stacking Undertaker Shawn Michaels matches was going to do you any favours for either man. And yet you did it anyway. (laughs) But that was the the match then that Shawn lost and that was the match then that was Shawn's retirement. Right. And that was the match which probably didn't live up to the expectations of the previous year. It was still a really awesome match. But, you know, Sean sailed off into the sunset. We watched his retirement speech. I thought it was very heartfelt. And he felt very much like a guy. He felt like, I don't know, like Gandalf at the end of Lord of the Rings. Where it's like, <laughs> I was here. I had my bit. I came back for another bit. And that bit was even better. But now it's time. And off I go. And that was held up for many, many years as the great example of how to bow out gracefully into the sunset. And he sat back and he watched all of his peers, people who he gave great retirements to, like like Ric Flair, sully that by you know going have less than perfect matches for the payday or for the ratings pop or whatever it is. And Sean actually refused return matches. He was offered a match in 2013 with Brian. And he said, no. Brian Danielson? Yeah. Wow. They actually set up a pay-per-view. just would have been just before you, you uh, started watching. Where you know he screwed over Brian as you know part of the authority because he's Triple H's friend and was like, oh, they're gonna have a match because he's his trainer and it didn't happen. A couple of years back at WrestleMania, the rumblings was that AJ Styles was gonna get the dream match with Shawn Michaels. He said, no, 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 don't want to do that. Now that's that's pretty impressive. That's restraint, isn't it? Yeah, because I feel like anyone would want, especially someone like Shawn, but like any any proper wrestler worth their salt would want to fight either of those two men i mean what a, like the, both of those matches i, I would jump, have been amazing yeah i right? jump at the opportunity to watch either of those yes yeah. alone your Shawn michaels would want to jump at the opportunity to be in those matches no that's not what it is because like he could have phoned it in with either of those two guys and it still would have been probably great matches oh yeah because like the other two are so good and perfect to be the, perfect yeah, to carry yeah. someone who maybe can't go anymore and it would give them a notch in their belt that would have been otherwise kind of impossible yeah. to achieve you but know? i admire i really do admire the fact that he was like no if i can't make it as good as i want it to be i don't want to do it at all those are matches that were rumored to have been pitched for wrestlemania and i want to say as well this isn't like something like oh sean was planning to do and then he pulled out very often i've learned this from gerwitz's book which i've referenced a few times recently here is that you know oftentimes the writers they just think big and they're like well look we'll, let's say let's we'll bring back steve austin yeah and then it'll be up to vince or triple h whoever it is to make the calls and see well can this even happen yeah so i think it got to the spitballing writer's room stage and never got kind of further than that because he yeah. said no and he was gone pretty much you know the odd appearance here and there he'd show up i think you know he showed up in nxt uk first when they were getting started because he was you know involved in nxt as like a a producer here or there and I think he was being used originally in NXT when Triple H was running it. 
as kind of like a again like a finishing school like if you're a top guy you go Sean would kind of mentor you a bit mm. I know like Adam Cole and Johnny Gargano and Champa these are all names <laughs> that literally listed your least favorite wrestlers it feels no, like <laughs> it's just they're all like it's just Triple H's guys aren't they it's like the little it's just the click continued it's like my friends no this is click babies like Muppet babies yeah and the rights are mysterious and no one knows who owns them mm. you know they're spread across the universe now mm-hmm. so Sean managed to Stay away from wrestling. I think it did him good, you know, to stay away and be back with his family and all that. Uh, I feel like we got to talk about something else that happened, though. Because mm. something else happened in 2018. What happened? I, I wasn't going to do this, Joe. I wasn't because I thought, mm. what a perfect career. He came, he went, he came again, and he, he conquered all things that need to be conquered. He proved himself to be the greatest, financially secure, legacy secure. He mended all those burnt bridges and broken fences, all those people he pissed off. Hey, yeah. he's not perfect, but, you know, for all intents and purposes, he was re-embraced by the public. And uh, then Saudi Arabia, uh, <laughs> Saudi Arabia comes a calling. And I wasn't going to do this, but here's the thing, right? I went back and I checked out the Brett episode before we, we did part one, because I wanted to be even-handed. We did do Brett's awful return match against Vince McMahon at WrestleMania. Yes, we did. And I feel like it's unfair, mm. right? Mm. Because we did it for him, we have to do it for Sean as well. So we made the incredibly... It's unfair to me. It's unfair to you. I'm sorry that right after that match, we sat down to watch from Crown Jewel in 2018, D-Generation X getting the band back together again to take on... The Brothers of Destruction, Kane and The Undertaker, in a bad wrestling match that, I'm not going to lie to you, this is my second time I've watched it now, I've become very obsessed with yeah, this. Yeah, I can see why, it's chaotic. This, it was so hard to play this. It was so hard to, like literally, we've had to swap how we watch the WWE Network because it's been so janky recently. Yeah, during one match we watched, it crashed literally like seven times yeah. in like, you know, the match is okay. They're quite long, but even still. And it was interesting because we were trying to play Crown Jewel 2018. Every time we press play, the screen would just go blank yeah, and then the play no. button would disappear. We don't uh, want you to watch this. I know they took their passports, but they take yeah. the streaming rights as well. <laughs> like, come on, Joe. So I got whiplash immediately from seeing this. We had a nice promo package for it, which um, mm. tried its hardest to put over the rationale here. Did you get the rationale why Sean was returning to the ring after eight or so years away? Because he wanted to. Well, you see, what happened, Joe, was that Triple H beat The Undertaker at an Australia Super Showdown. And then Kane, The Undertaker, they beat up Shawn Michaels and Triple H because they cheated in the match and uh, threw out the respect that had been built between the four last outlaws. And then Shawn had a really long plane ride back from Australia. And it is implied from his promo that in that plane ride, he realized he had to go back one more time to, to pull on the old wrestling boots and wrestle one last match with his best friend Triple H against the Brothers Destruction and it simply had to take place in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Hmm. I mean, a lot happens. I mean, we've been on long flights. All sorts can happen, hmm. you know? I don't know. For me, it's just like, you know, seconds ago we were talking about the restraint, the incredible restraint of Shawn Michaels turning down his ice cream sundae for breakfast of Brian Danielson and AJ Styles no, as a match. Thank you. No, yeah. I won't. I will show restraint. Discipline. I'm, I'm trying to eat fewer ice cream sundaes. 
and uh, enjoy what I have. Oh, Saudi Arabia, blood money. Yes, please. I'll take those millions of dollars to Do have you... the worst match in the world. Do you think he needed the money? Was it like kind of no. straight up like, I need it. Like I, I need another payday and these won't come along often. So I better take it. I mean, I'd be very sad if he really needed the money. They because... did do a storyline with him and JBL where JBL was like, he invested badly in the stock market. Now he's my boy. <laughs> I don't see Rebecca allowing him to be that that fiscally irresponsible. Yeah. I think he probably just wants... I think a lot of wrestlers like that want a bit more of a safety net, you know, just in case something happens. It's, you know... And it is easy money. It's such, it's such easy, easy money. money. How could you... I mean, how? It's, I, I completely understand people not turning that down. And I think the safety net as well is like, you know, those first two ones we mentioned there, the restraint of turning those down, mm. that's at WrestleMania. Mm. He's Mr. WrestleMania. No one's Mr. Crown Jewel. No, exactly. There's much less pressure. Maybe Mansoor. And I think, you know... Folks like you and I, we play our part, I guess, in making this an easy day for, for folks like Shawn Michaels because by you and I and a lot of wrestling fans refusing to acknowledge the existence of these Crown Jewel shows, it's kind of like in an alternate universe yeah, it doesn't, it didn't happen. where it didn't happen. And let me tell you, folks, in that A&E documentary, they do not mention this at fucking all. He yeah. retired, he became a producer, and that is That's the it. life he's led. Yeah, and he never went to Saudi Arabia. I could tell you there's a reason or two you might want to forget this match because this is one of the most complicated disasters I've ever seen unfold. So funny. You've heard of the play that goes wrong? This is the wrestling match that goes fucking tits up. It's so bad. And there's nothing worse than this match being built up with Triple H going, I assure you, this isn't about nostalgia. Yeah, and sure. Him literally going to the royal family. Remember? Suck it. Remember? Suck it. Yeah. yeah. You got your glow sticks? Yeah. Huh? They are laden with glow sticks and gimmicks when they come out. I'm kind of obsessed with the expensive looking glow sticks because, like, I wonder, twenty dollars. I reckon. Yeah, I yeah. wonder what the markup was because they blatantly. I looked online. You can buy a bunch of green glow glow sticks for a fiver oh, from yeah. Amazon. Like you, you get, get like forty eight for a pack. You walk down the street in Manchester, you'll get oh, a pack yeah. given to you. Go like. to Poundland, you can get like a bunch of them. I'm pretty sure they grow on trees and bury new roads by <laughs> 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 the market, right? But like. You know someone's added a little DX logo to them. Yeah, and tiny. And a little WWE. Yeah, a little WWE. Yeah. And the markup on them is probably like 400%. They probably cost like $30 for just two green glow sticks. They probably buy them in a massive multi-pack of thousands of glow sticks. Yeah. And then what they a just money spinner. sell them for like two little glow sticks each. Oh, look, you can make an X. That's how we justify these costumes. And you have to buy two this way. pounds. Yeah, you have to buy them separately. I tried <laughs> to check on eBay. I typed in DX glow sticks and I found a pair and it was like 35 quid. I was like, fucking hell. Yeah. Then I realized they were glow sticks for the Mattel action figures. Oh. Of and Shawn Michaels. So they're really small. Really small. I thought, no, no, Kevin, you should buy it because then you could be in the Daily Mail being like, I thought I was <laughs> going to be a member of the DX army. And instead, I've got this. It would look extra funny because you're so big. How am I supposed to tell my family to suck it now, WWE, <laughs> with your blood money in Saudi Arabia? <laughs> Shawn Michaels is now a bald man. He is. I don't like the look on oh, him. I think he looks awful here. And I'm not think... I'm not bald shaming at all. Oh no, because, we love bald people. Because when he is in the, the documentary that they did with A&E, it's kind of set... The reason I didn't show you for the first part is because it's set through the lens of Sean working as a producer in NXT. He's running through spots with like, you know, Jonah and Tommaso, all these people who are going to get fired. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, but it's like him as a producer and he's got like, 
the hair's growing in at the back and up at mm. the sides. He's built like a brick shithouse in way better shape now than he is here this match. Yeah. And he's got a full fucking Burt Reynolds carpet going on there yeah, as well. He I looks think like an ace. He needs the beard, definitely, to rock the bald head. But yeah. I think even more than that is he... Some people don't suit entirely bald heads. Some people suit yeah. a bit more of, you know, the receding hairline. It's so weird because some people you're like, you see them with a receding hairline. You're like, shave that shit off. Yeah. It makes you look old. And other people you're like, no, bring that receding hairline back. It looks yeah. good. I just think if, if, you, if, if you are at home or balding at the moment and you think, are my two choices being thinning hairline or being completely shaved bald? Observe Shawn Michaels in 2021 slash 2022. Mm. He has found something between... A dad and a hunk, yeah. a happy middle ground, and he works it. He absolutely works it. It's all about the confidence, baby. That's yeah. all it is. And yet, no, in this match, he looks like an egg. He does a badly tanned I egg. I think that's it. I think it's the tan because yeah. his, his it's patchy. Bald, the bald bit isn't tanned. I don't know if that's because you can't tan your head. I don't know how that works, but surely you can. I don't know, but it looks weird. It looks like he's got. I don't know, like he's not managed to evenly tan all over. It just looks very unflattering. It's harder than it looks, Joe, as well. Yeah. I've been led to believe. DX are wearing these awful, ugly old DX t-shirts with like bone hands going, <laughs> suck it. Suck is... my old bone. Yeah, is it because they're so old, they're skeletons? <laughs> I guess, remember when Evolution, when you first started watching, Evolution came back and they were all skeletons yeah. in there as well. Like, you know, I think that's one of Triple H's only things, like, Hang on, what if um a skeleton. What if it was a ske- what if I have a new a new uh, t shirt and it says CES, Chief Executive Skeleton <laughs> and it's me and I'm wearing, you know, the boardroom, the suit and the tie. I'm the creator, but I'm also like a skeleton. To him the coolest thing he's ever seen is a skeleton. He's never really moved past that. Spooky scary skeletons. <laughs> Come creeping down your spine. <laughs> When Kane came out. Oh, Kane. This was the all-time reaction. Kane comes out and showing, he looks shit. He does. He looks like shit. Like if you were gone out for a night out and you went for a kebab afterwards and you're really drunk and it was served to you and it was wrong. You're like, this is fucking shit. <laughs> and it's not even because he looks wrong. He, like the, the body shape has completely changed. I don't mind that. Obviously he's I changed. Thick Kane before. That's well, fine. I don't mind Thick Kane. And obviously he's a lot older now. And the 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 costume is. It hides nothing. Mm. So if you've gained weight, you're going to see. I don't care that at all. My issue is he looks like he's got heartburn. He's mid-burp. He comes out and he looks mid-burp and he's like limping. And he, it's just like he's not even trying to play the character of Kane. Yeah. It just feels like he's just woken up and he's pissed <laughs> off to be here. And he doesn't want to do it. And it's just like, can you not act a little bit like that's kind of your job yeah like the wrestling yes but also playing the character of a demon i know it's a little bit of effort there's a lot of issues here and i think we've got everyone else is trying their best somewhat yeah like they at least get their characters like triple h he's triple h the undertaker he's the old goth biker dude whatever Shawn Michaels is Shawn Michaels, but Kane isn't Kane he like, Yeah, he feels like he's got some sort of... Uh... Is it imposter Kane? <laughs> is that what we have? That's it, you learned about it in the AE Live show. He's imposter Kane. Yeah. I mean, he's got a wig. He doesn't look wig. right. He, he certainly has a wig. He doesn't seem tall enough. It's all strange, all wrong. <laughs> uh, something about this crowd, which I think, you know... There's a lot of people who hate on the Saudi Arabian crowd, you know, because obviously you've got the royal family in the, the first few rows around yeah. like that. And they're like, oh, no one's come here to watch this. No one, they don't get it. They don't like it. It's like a, it's a, it's all a PR thing. And I think there's a lot of valid criticisms about the Saudi Arabian uh, dealings that they have. But like, you can't lie and pretend 
and put your fingers in your ears if there are people there who are genuine like big old WWE fans oh, who are we get like 10 this is awesome chance and they come out of nowhere because they yeah. It what reminded me most of because it felt really strange. It, it, there's silence, like people will stand staring, yeah. not a peep, and then all of a sudden, this, this is, is awesome. awesome. And it really funny because I was listening to Lance Storm recently, and he was talking about something that we were talking about in our Sabu episode, which was you know the intentional botches, and there's been a bit of controversy online with Rob and Sabu talking about intentional botches and Melzer not believing them. <sighs> great, great C-list fucking wrestling wow. Twitter drama right there. But like Lance Storm was saying, like you know, people when they would go to towns for ECW and they hadn't been there before, and they were so excited to see ECW and get to do the chance like on TV, where they would have like, see, someone's in a corner, and I'm like, I'm coming for the big splash, brother, and they get out of the way and they hit and go, oh, I missed the splash, and people go, you fucked up, you <laughs> fucked up, and like I remember when I saw like wrestling in you know in Salt Hill in the Leisure Center in Galway, and like people would be like, yo, they missed the clothes and they took a punch, you fucked up. Because you just wanted to see it, say it, because you know, yeah, we, we never get to do it. We don't get to see wrestling around this way often. It makes you feel kind of part of the club. So we get like 10 This Is Awesome chants, which are all extremely generous. And it's yeah, very, it's sweet. It's, it is sweet. I it can't is. wait for this crowd to get burnt out on wrestling. <laughs> yeah, it's just such a shame that the royal family are right in the front. I feel they should be put in like a royal box or something yeah. where we don't have to see them. On their fucking because phones. On their like. phones. And like wandering around and not even looking at the ring like once you can see past the royal family the fans there are really engaged oh yeah they've got you know i don't think they do have signs i don't think they're loud signs but they are they are properly engaged they've got the little glow sticks they've got you know they're they're cheering and clapping and they're fucking into it so much but like they're so far away yeah they've they've (laughs) got this buffer zone of like the disinterest like you know apathy like that exists you know I think Taker and Sean facing off in the ring after like whatever nine ten years since the last match we saw between them there that you and I had seen. I mean, it it was it was alarming. I think that Taker has maybe burnt the candle at both ends because Taker has been wrestling basically at least once or twice a year every year since then. Sean had one more year and then that was it. Mm. Sean though, however, he looks a good three or four inches shorter at this point. Like his his leg has just got a divot in it it just bends outwards he walks like i've always thought this about sean he walks like a cowboy yeah he's, he's got like pretty much deformed knees and that's from it's kind of like looks like rickets or something yeah and it's from you know the knee injury he had when he lost mm. his smile they just put a big old knee brace on it and that knee has always sucked yeah but the man then he's kipping up in this match amazing he's clearly been put into this match as like a look the three of us have got this sword. Yeah, Sean. we'll look after you. We're the you. pros. We'll carry you. We'll carry you. We'll give you a tag in. Maybe you do the big elbow. You yeah, know, you remember the like you used to. And then there's literally the first moment where you're like, wow, Sean can still do X, Y, and Z. He goes into the corner and does the flip over. At the same time, Triple H sent into the corner. He fucking tears his shoulder out. And that's it. Literally it's first so defensive move. funny. The, the lad who's probably the safest pair of hands yeah. in inverted commas is suddenly... It's his dominant arm and he can't fucking do anything without wincing. And he has... As well it's one of those arm injuries that means he has to like curl it upwards so it's not even like sometimes when people get injured in wrestling you can kind of hide the yeah. fact it you just distract like magic or whatever yeah yeah but he can't do that no he way. has to keep it like close to him and curled up in a specific way to stop it from getting like more injured i guess and there is this very strange i'm gonna say because we're immersed in their bromance at the moment here it's a sweet moment between triple h and sean here as kate undertaker stand in the ring breathing heavily in the no doubt very human <laughs> near 40 degree heat in, in, in Saudi and Triple H has basically come over and be like well 
here's the here's the thing um (laughs) you're gonna have to do the whole match in your own vanilla (laughs) you can see the moment where triple h whispers that in sean's ear and you can see it in sean's face the moment where he's like realizing what this means and he's sudden he goes from looking kind of cocky and smirky the character to oh shit let's get through this i guess we can get through this still (laughs) you know this is not what I signed up for, you know. There's there's a reason why he did the tag match. I think. Yeah. The 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 things that sweeten the pot have all kind of suddenly evaporated here. Triple H will be there. Don't worry. Nope. Mm. It's a tag match. Don't worry. Nope. You an Undertaker. You can do it with your eyes closed. No, they fucking can't. No. Let me tell you, the great plan has gone out the window, and because within a minute of Triple H telling Sean, you got to do this on your own, we still go for the hot tag to triple h and his one arm man joe i i've watched recently we had over on our patreon we reviewed eddie kingston and ishii yeah and we also had gunther and sheamus yeah and i don't think anything prepared me for the open hand chops of the non-dominant arm of triple h ouch ouch ow ouch this hurts why does anyone do this ow like oh yeah there's a reason i've done this for the last 22 years of my career it sucks <laughs> it's it's so bad it's the only thing he can physically do and even that looks like it hurts him a lot how can you idolize rick flair for so much of your life and, and not, not do not have a chop yeah. in your like and the thing is everyone, well, he really sucks at them it makes you really appreciate how well people do it when they do it well because yeah. i think there's two ways to do a chop really well one is to do it for real and just accept that it's going to suck. Yeah. And two is to do the stamping foot or the leg slap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Triple H doesn't even do no, that because uh... that's not really his style. So he's like weakly slapping the chest. <laughs> it looks so shit. Uh, I'll tell you, if you've got an upset tummy, watch this match because it's full of ginger action. Let me tell yeah, you, everything is ginger. done gingerly to the absolute yeah. nth degree. Frail. This, I've never seen such frail action yeah. being peppered with this is awesome chance. It felt like if you're playing on 2K and you're like not really doing well, yeah. but it's like, ah, fuck it, look, we have to loop through some of the sound effects. This is awesome. <laughs> this is awesome. And it's just so obvious at this point that Sean is carrying the match. Like, and yeah. I think even if Triple H hadn't been injured, he probably still would be carrying the match because he is so much better than the rest of them. Yeah. He can absolutely still go. It's like he's been, it's like he never stopped. We go on this journey with Sean where it starts off where he does the kip up and it's like, shit, I still got it. Yeah. And fans are chatting, you still got it. And then there's like almost a moment where he's kind of like, fuck it, if I could do that, I probably could have done this. And maybe, yeah. you know, maybe he's thinking about that AJ match after all. Yeah. Who would have thought I could have done this? And then he goes to work with Kane and it's, Kane is so much more limited than anyone else in the match. Seriously. He, Sean looks embarrassed. He does. I've never seen him look embarrassed yeah. in the match because he realizes, shit, I actually have a little something. And it's being wasted. Yeah. On these on these people who are legends in the industry. Some of the best wrestlers in the world. There's and the reason he's... why you don't buy your own hype. Yeah. You don't work yourselves because then you convince yourselves that you can do this. But what's ah yeah? I just think it's it's fascinating because to me, I I look at Shawn Michaels, especially at the start of this match, and he seemed to look up to everyone so much, especially Triple H. Yeah, yeah. Like he seems in awe still of the people he's worked with for a long, long time, and yet he's the only one who can really 
really go and who can actually carry all these legends careers and reputations off his own back even though he's been gone all this time and we're watching this and you pointed out you know the irony because you know there was a a, a legend who wanted to work with Shawn michaels we mentioned in our previous episode who never got to do so because vincent man said you're too old and you got to do some commentary oh right yeah. yeah i would love to show this match go back in time and show this match to macho man after he's been relegated yeah. to commentary all 10 years older than yeah. you Look guess, at how, guess how much they got paid randy guess how much go on guess make a guess no more than that enough to a buy a lot more than that enough to buy a new second house to put elizabeth in that she, you know, <laughs> she never allowed to leave like there's big stretches of like dead air in this where the announcers yeah. are like um i don't know if that's vince yelling at them or if they i don't know if they <laughs> fix his arm damn it you ruined it renee why didn't you fix his arm? <laughs> renee renee is on commentary here yeah which I, every time she opens her mouth i was like shit renee's on commentary here such a waste everything she says something has to go through a special channel for the royal family to hear and go yeah okay you can broadcast that's that what, honestly, button, like, that's yeah. what i was thinking is yeah. like maybe they Invested. maybe they have more rules for saudi shows mm. of what oh, they, yeah, they do, can yeah, say yeah, yeah so maybe that's you know if you've got more rules than usual and it's not consistent you as a commentator probably would feel like oh i'd probably better not say anything then rather than say the wrong thing and get fired yeah. and you know you're on the wrong end of things when uh, you've got michael cole being like just so we all know none of these guys have been active for like many years mm. many many years the fact they're doing anything at all is amazing <laughs> triple h he's a champ so he's going to go through a table on the outside even though he's only got one arm and kane literally cannot lift him without someone's arm being there to help him so triple h kind of like throws himself off of Kane's hand and goes right on the monitors. Yeah. Because his arm is so fucked up he can't clear can't them. land properly, yeah. Oh my god. Like, if you ever had ill will for Triple H. <laughs> I feel like this is the answer. You you made this happen by yeah. having your little fucking promo on him earlier on yeah. in the episode. I did it for China. <laughs> Everyone keeps going over to Triple H and asking him what to do as well. He's laid out dead and Sean's like, yeah. And he's like, you okay? You yeah. okay? okay? And then the Undertaker comes up and is also like, okay what do we do now what, what and michael cole's like undertaker just said you guys are done yeah, and then, sure. yeah the undertaker the demon be like you guys are done <laughs> this is it dx are finished you're like, through no sorry no i'm not buying it last. he looks so concerned as well like i don't think the undertaker is actually a very good <laughs> actor well, I think he's at the point, Joe, where he's in so much pain. But, like, even still... You know, like, where he's on, if he's not grimacing and bent over, that's like, that's acting for him. It's pretty fucking basic to not look concerned at your competitor. Mm. Like, that's 101 with wrestling, especially if you're a heel. They're the heels in this, right? The Brothers of Destruction? I get. I mean, it's legend v. legend, I right, guess. Right, okay. But I think this is the old adage of, oh, dance like no one is watching. You should wrestle like an audience is watching, because mm. they are, and it's like... They're treating this like a house show. Yeah. And it's like, we can look, they're chatting. This is awesome every two seconds. We can go and have a chat here now. Anything. And like, Michael Cole is like, basically like, hey, we're, the, we're, on, we're on TV. Yeah. Like, you know, this, is, <laughs> this is going out live. Like, you know, <laughs> the highlight of this match oh, no. where I was so giddy and I was jumping up and down and be like, oh, it's going to happen. Keep your eye out when Kane goes into the corner. Did you expect to happen? What happens with Kane here? No. I thought he might fall over. <laughs> or shit himself or something like that. I, that didn't even occur to me. That probably would have been less embarrassing than what <laughs> actually happens. Yeah, he's wearing dark pants. He could have carried it. He yeah, could have it would have been it. fine. No solid chance. He barely does anything this match anyway. <sighs> he's going to do a move in the corner. And the wig just falls off. It just comes right off. And the mask as well. The and whole shimoli. The whole thing. And it's just like, oh. There's, uh, there's the mayor. 
It was it was the mayor all I said racist <laughs> right wing mayor. Get him. Get him. I was trying to scare you all away to get rid of the homeless people. And I would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for you pesky Sean Michaels. I was trying to scare you all away to rebalance the voting intentions of my district. It's a for <laughs> it's called gerrymandering, Sean. <laughs> but the funniest thing is, it would cuz it wouldn't been that it would have been funny but not that funny if he'd just like gone with it and like fine. You know, you, you don't care. Like, yeah. just go with it. But it's the way when the wig comes off, he immediately goes like, no. Oh. It, like, crawls like, like he's, away. Like he's Penta or something. Like, yeah. you know, oh, no, my shame. My like, shame. No. Or like a vampire in the light. Like, <sighs> no. Oh. And to try and buy everyone a bit of time as the Brothers Destruction work together in tandem to put Kane's head back on, Sean goes, oh, and he does a moonsault <laughs> to the outside. And somehow, despite the fact that I'd say... Undertaker and Kane are got a good 45 inches on both of them chest wise. Big lads. Sean manages to somehow land in between them and land right in his fucking knees. It's like when Barney Gumble falls and like hits the marshmallow factory, gets mm. run over by the pillows car or whatever. Yeah. How did this happen? Oh no. And that was the point where I was like, okay, Sean is kind of a little bit like past it here in terms of I think he's over it. Mm. Like nothing worse can happen in this match. We get an attempt again at the hot tag to Triple H. He comes in running wild again. The slowest hot tag ever. You don't need to. You don't. Why do you keep doing it? Yeah, you should stop doing it. The one-armed pedigree and like him and that's Andy, it's oh. already a scary, dangerous move. Thought of doing it to someone twice his size with one arm. That's just stupid, right? And they want to do like the whole like kind of you know, he picks over the tombstone. Oh, he looks behind him the pedigree. Oh no, the tombstone! And literally Triple H is like. Okay, pedigree. Uh, right now, pick me up. Pick me up. Pick me up. Higher. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna reverse. You ready? Ready? Okay, now here we go. And it's like in it's like if you're struggling in a fighting game like Street Fighter, and they'll show you in slow mo like here's the sequence of the moves. This is how you do it. Right? Yeah. You copy this, and you'll be able to be. Oh man, it was so embarrassing. We get the switch in music and the pedigree to Kane. After the tombstones are avoided, DX win in inverted commas. And they sit in the corner with arms around each other. And at least you're there with someone who loves you, lads. I mean, that's a long... What are you going to think on that long flight back? That's what I wonder. I am never doing that again. I mean, a lot of people opt to not recognize this, including the makers of the Shawn Michaels biography on A&E and WWE. (laughs) I mean, does it spoil a legacy? Is this Ric Flair's last match levels of spoiling legacy? Did it? Did it? Sour you on Sean at all this this whole endeavor? Surprisingly, no. I thought I really thought it would do, but actually, it made me kind of respect him a bit more because out of all of these guys, he's not the one I would have thought would end up carrying the match, and yeah. he did. And it's quite nice to see him go from nervous and protected by the the other big three lads to him, you know, basically doing all the hardest work. Like he yeah. must have gotten such a workout through this match. Seriously. Having to work he would have had to work overtime anyway, I think, because of who he is and who they are. But I think the fact that Triple H got injured, the fact that Kane gets blown up so fast, <laughs> the fact that the Undertaker can't go anymore. Yeah. 
he just has to go like 150% harder than he would do. And he really does. Like all the moves that he does that he used to do, he does them pretty much perfectly. I think the sweet chin music is a bit, bit of a struggle slower. there. A bit slower. All his moves are a little bit slower. But it's he still feels like the Sean of old because everyone else is so much even slower still. Yeah. That if we're grading it on a curve, he actually seems pretty fast. There's a lot of people probably pulling their hair out that I showed you this match in the I'm first sure, place. Yeah. That was me, to be honest, until but like, I saw it. <laughs> it, sh- it shows you something about him. Yeah. And also as well, it really, really, really says to us wrestling fans, don't, don't make anyone be, this is the person who is like going to do the retirement this way and that's how it is. Because we're living in a day and age now where like, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin came back yeah. after many, like, I would say Austin coming back was a more like, what, seriously? Yeah. Than Sean, like, because everyone was waiting for Sean to come back. We had long since, we were in post expectation of Austin coming back and he came back and he fucking smashed it. Yeah. I think we all need to get over the idea of a peaceful retirement. They end <laughs> and they will almost definitely come back. Yeah, I think we should appreciate the ones that we have that are good, but don't yeah. put all your eggs on the fact that it will always be there and it will always be that one. Feels like the retirement is going to be one of these things where, like in wrestling, there were so many years, there were storylines that you got invested in, but then there were retirements and the people who got injured, like Edge and Brian and Sean himself, and they had to hang them up and it's like, fuck no, and it's emotional and it's sad and it's sore. And then they come back, mm. you know, and you think, oh shit, they're back now. It's kind of like, you know, maybe, maybe we're in a time there's so many wrestlers who are all so amazing and there's so much great wrestling to watch these days. If someone is, is going, don't get too hung up on the fact they may almost definitely be back at some point. Yeah, probably. I feel that this match says a lot about Sean and probably even more so about WWE's mindset yeah. and the uh, better than ever, we're all going to live forever Legendsville we had in uh, 2015 to 2000, well, until the pandemic, I guess. Yeah. I dare ask you for a rating for this one. <laughs> what do you think my rating was? I mean, I will be, I will be, um, I, I will look like Kane with indigestion if you give it more than the match with, with Hunter at, uh, at SummerSlam, I think. <laughs> oh, fuck off, Joe. I mean, that being said, I was laughing. I was I was in stitches. I was laughing so much in this match. Honestly, this match entertained me in yeah. a way. You know, I had to get the first one out first. And the first one, the first one's going to suck. I'm not going to lie to you. If you've never seen this match before, the first one's going to really suck. Well, this was my first one. You know, but you had a good time. This is a terrible match. On paper, <laughs> this is one of the worst matches I've ever seen. Like, that, I, there is no defending this match. Yeah. The, the mo- other than Sean's stuff, the moves are awful. They're really bad. Way to ruin a childhood. I'm glad I didn't grow up watching any of these guys because <laughs> it would make me very upset and probably make me feel very old. <laughs> which I think is probably why a lot of people will really hate this. Yeah, yeah. But it's also exactly why I loved it. Because it was so chaotic... And it was so terrible. And it is really satisfying to see a bunch of terrible old men embarrass themselves yeah. for money. Because like, everyone in that ring, either in real life or in wrestling, you can convince yourself you don't like them. They're, they're all pieces of shit. In, in their own way, they've all done and said plenty of bad shit. Like the one I like know. most is Sean. And even he, I can't defend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's it was fun for me to watch. And mm. you know what? Part of the reason I really liked this, and I think this might, might maybe persuade other people to enjoy it too is 
I got the same from this as I used to get from watching Backyard Wrestling. Aha! Like, you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. You know it will be shit. <laughs> but that's okay. It's okay to be shit because they're having a fun time. They're having a good thing. Obviously, Were these guys, they? I think it started off that way. I think they, after after a bit, they all got a bit embarrassed and <laughs> probably wanted to go home. But it started off with like good intentions. I think yeah. they were good friends, all happy to see each other and work with each other again one last time. And I think they were all very excitable. Mm. And uh, yeah, it was really terrible, really bad match. So much happened in it, though. Are you saying it's so bad it's good, basically? Yeah. Like this is this is like an Ed Wood wrestling yeah. match, essentially. I can't in good faith recommend it to anyone. But for me, I've given it four stars. Like generally speaking, bad wrestling isn't as fun to watch as good wrestling. Because bad wrestling generally tends to be boring. Yeah. But if you have any sort of investment in these characters... The wig falling off. Come on. Know, how is that not hilarious? That, that's high comedy, man. Come on. All of the moves are done so frail. Like, these guys aren't even that old. Like, okay, for wrestlers, yeah, they're old. But, like, in the grand scheme of things, they're not that old. And yet they all move like they're fucking ancient, 100-year-old beings. You know what? They should watch some Sting matches, Joe. That's yeah. what I think. Like, you know, he's, he's got, like, 10 years on some of these lads. Seriously? Come on now, you know? Wow. Well, Sean did not return to the ring since. I will never rule anything out. I would be surprised if he did come back because I thought it was very telling the kind of this is we don't talk about this for me like he had a face at the end of this which looked just like stone cold's face at the end of wrestlemania this year which was like that was ridiculous that went so wrong we will never do this again but also we had we had a bit of fun you're talking about the vince stunner now not the the kevin owens match no 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 no, the vince stunner right which went horribly wrong like, yeah, it was this just this like, match was basically the Vince McMahon stunner yeah. if four people enacted it as wrestlers. Yeah, it's just like, well, you know, what can you do? You can't, you can't let yourself be upset by these things, or else it will haunt you forever. You may as well just laugh. So Sean has found himself since Triple H had some health issues during the pandemic, well, going from a producer to NXT to being the producer in NXT, and he is basically one of the. You know, the main forces and the main visions behind the NXT 2.0, which now that Triple H is taking back over again of WWE and Vince McMahon is gone and the world of wrestling moves so quickly in 2022, <laughs> that is no longer the case. But Sean was given basically the insurmountable, impossible task, which is, hey, you've got an entire roster of people, 75% who have just graduated from university and have never stepped foot in a ring at all. Mm. Go make a wrestling show. I've never seen any NXT 2.0 and it has been, to say the very least, a divisive topic and people seem happy that that branding is gone. But Sean has made a few people that have made people go, oh, would be stars there. And we spent so many times on this show talking about, you know, people who would be great trainers and great mentors and all that. I almost never expect tippity top all time legends to become a trainer. It's mm-hmm. always like the journeyman or the kind of the middle of the card guy yeah. or girl or whatever it is. But Sean is like, he's he's neck deep. He is a producer. He makes that show and it feels like that's going to be his future for the foreseeable. Well, it feels like whatever Sean does, he always puts everything into it. Which... I, I loved watching him produce yeah. in, that, in that documentary. He was the highlight of it. He felt like he was giddy about like watching spots and wrestling yeah. and ladder matches. That's awesome. That's and so like, cool. I don't, I, I can't say, you know, as not a wrestler, I can't say if he's like good at his job, but... The fact that he's there and the fact that so many people look up to him surely must be a good thing. Yeah, I like think... That's going to inspire people to be like, oh, I could I could learn from the great Shawn Michaels. Like, that's cool, right? I think he's a good person to have there yeah. because no one is as big an advertisement 
for the good and the bad of the wrestling mm. industry as Shawn Michaels. The pitfalls that you can fall in, the mountains that you can climb, and everything in between, I think have been encapsulated in the two parts of this episode. And I think it's easy to say there'll never be someone else like Shawn Michaels, Joe. Mm. I think he is probably a unique specimen that could only thrive and exist in this weird world of professional wrestling. But... Why don't we now take a moment to reflect with all of you. It's time for your tweets and your Facebook posts about old HB shizzle, Shawn Michaels. And we're back. Well, Joe, we've just come to the end of the second part of Shawn Michaels. I don't know if we'll be doing two-parters for other people I in thought for future. a second you were going to say, I don't know if we'll do a third part. For Are you sure. ready? Yeah, all the great matches to lie ahead. Just his Saudi career. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, two-parters for other people. I don't know, maybe The Undertaker? Yeah, although finding a middle point will probably... It's not the case that other people don't deserve two-parters. Yeah. It's just the case that I don't think any wrestler will have a neatly one half and other half of a career exactly quite like hbk weird question i wanted to ask you seeing as we've had a couple of days now and everything's kind of you know everything's laid a little bit you got to decompress about all of your your sean viewing would you say you have a preferred period classic sean or modern sean i'm talking solely about if you're watching a wrestling show and this guy shows up uh maybe to wrestle maybe to talk but is there one you have preference for it's really hard because like my gut preference is 90s Sean because he's so chaotic. And you keep telling me you love drama recently. When I do. I, when I'm in floods of tears about AEW, you're, <laughs> you're like, I love drama. Yeah, I do love drama. <laughs> and I do love the drama surrounding Sean. Like, there's a problematic part of me that likes toxicity, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I shouldn't probably be talking about that on a podcast. I should talk about that in therapy or something. <laughs> <laughs> but um, in terms of like who I genuinely think has the... Like if I had to pick between which is the better half mm-hmm. of his career, I think it's got to be the second half. Yeah. But I don't feel that's entirely because of Sean. I feel that's because of the booking. Yeah. He's like, got that kind of legendary status at that point that he gets to enjoy. And you not know? just that, but like I think wrestling was at a more interesting time in the later half of his career like i feel wrestling was going through a lot more change oh i guess it was going through changes in the 90s as well it's just different i guess there's more characters who i enjoy in the later half of his career interesting i think we may have to for a pay-per-view classic delve into uh maybe the post o2 period once again have a look at uh, i don't know with the new season of the a podcast i'm like scared to suggest anything that might infringe as long as we stay away (laughs) from 2006 and 7 we'll be fine and can i just say thank you once again again for being positive about this era of sean and his dx reunion because it's given me the little bit of a pep in my step i need before going after 12 some pay-per-views <laughs> from that time period so yeah interesting that we've been through brett we've been through vince we've been through two parts of sean and you've come out of it now with a hearty appreciation for all mm. and uh, a deep-rooted disdain for triple h somehow yep. uh, that's interesting Fuck i triple h <laughs> i hate him <laughs> So let's get into some of your tweets about the second part of Sean's career. We, we had a few here. Thanks for everyone who joined in the conversation using the hashtag HowToHBK. Joe, what do you got for us? So first of all, I, I've been meaning to tell this story for ages, like since part one, basically. Because we often record the main episode and then the tweets separately. Yeah. And for part one, in between recording the first part and the tweets, I had a nightmare. About Sean? Well, it was actually about my birthday. Okay. <laughs> but I had a nightmare where I threw a birthday party and 
a whole bunch of people I didn't really like showed up. One of the people was 90s Shawn Michaels. I see. Okay. So yeah. when you say 90s Shawn Michaels, you talking like kind of late 90s DX Shawn or early kind of yeah. boy toy Shawn? No, no, no. Late 90s DX Shawn where he's being a real little prick. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. And he showed up at my birthday party and he made it all about him. And um, we got a really nice gift from a friend recently of some wine glasses. They're yeah. really gorgeous wine mm-hmm. glasses. And 90s Shawn Michaels, he filled up the glass to the brim with some really nice wine that I'd been saving for my birthday in this dream and just wasted it. Didn't appreciate the wine at all. And it's, I think it's literally the only time I've ever woken up crying. Yeah, you were very stressed <laughs> about this. Interesting that uh, his, his click compatriots like Kevin Nash didn't step in no. and tell him how to appreciate a glass of wine properly. You also, know? how come Triple H wasn't there when I hate Triple H so much? Yeah, maybe you don't hate him in that way. My you brain know? was protecting me. Or maybe that's it. You, you went beyond like just kind of kayfabe hating someone. So yeah. If you shoot hate someone, your brain won't book them yeah. in your dreams, essentially. Exactly. so if i had to tell that story i don't know why that was so traumatizing at the time to my my dream self i mean he's he's a lot to take on you know and even with breaking it into two parts it feels like this has been one of the more kind of intense viewing periods yeah and i don't know if it feels weird like there's so many like people who you've done episodes on where you go back to you know like we, we watch primetime wrestling all the time oh, now. Yeah. You know, bobby heenan memories always out the wazoo and yeah i don't see you queuing up to watch a load of Shawn michaels segments from the late 90s somehow i don't no, know probably not because they're not very good yeah he's, he's 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 layered he's complex yeah but their matches are still are still 100 uh, percent uh yeah. yeah i think there's 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 a lot of fun to be had there still with Shawn. yeah definitely so you got some tweets here from the folks got using... tweets got a couple of facebook posts as well oh very nice they're over at facebook.com forward slash how to wrestling give us a like give us a like give us a follow on twitter we we love all that thanks for the attention we like social media we do we like connecting and with the fans and also we we post some good stuff on there don't we yes we do by which i mean you post some good Ah. stuff on there (laughs) by which i mean i share some good stuff that other people have posted (laughs) right first up from darren gutteridge I think the sentiment that confirmed my opinion that he is the best in-ring wrestler of all time is the fact that he is the only person to have two separate Hall of Fame-worthy careers, both pre and post his 98 retirement. Okay, that's a really interesting point, because I think they are, you know, for different reasons, excellent, very watchable, very intriguing, almost in some respects polar opposite, you know, energies, those careers. The idea, though, of you referring to them as separate Hall of Fame careers, the idea is like, you know, the Hall of Fame class of 2023 <laughs> is proud to induct bad Shawn Michaels into the Hall of Fame. And he has to go back to that dark place for one night. <laughs> you know, it doesn't show up. Like, you know, Triple H has to come out and apologize. Kicks I'm sorry. The door down. He's meant to be here, guys. I'm sorry. You know, he comes out some sort of a battery at him. It's bad. Oh, awful. Next over on Facebook from Justin Hofstetter. I had been wanting to comment for... By the way, this one I, I picked out for you, Kevin. Oh, this, for me? This is a great food analogy. Oh, I like food. Yeah, me too. It's kind of made me a bit hungry, <laughs> this comment. I had been wanting to comment for part one that Shawn Michaels versus is my wrestling version of my favourite culinary prefixes, cilantro lime or sea salt caramel, where I know that its addition to any food or match will make it exponentially better. Oh, but I think when you go with cilantro or, or AKA coriander, We're right? getting there. We're going with that. Just continue. 
After the Jericho match at WrestleMania 19, though, Shawn Michaels' verses became the version of cilantro lime or sea salt caramel that results when a national chain or restaurant or big packaged food brand gets a hold of it. Yeah, it hits the same notes, but it just doesn't grab me the same way. His second half is objectively great, but somehow, and I don't know if it's WB itself or Jesus Sean just hitting that's, different. That's another way to call him. Jesus <laughs> Sean. Jesus Sean. There's two different Seans. There's the first Sean, which is Jesus Sean. And Jesus then, Sean. And then there's Jesus Sean. Yeah, Jesus Sean. Yeah, yeah. It's Jesus. But somehow it just doesn't have the same pull to it. Just like those culinary trends in home cooking or locally owned restaurants versus big mass produced versions. This is perfectly summarizes how I feel about Sean. Which I agree. I, I believe that it's kind of like the first half of his career is like just a pure, essential, in- special ingredient that adds something. Yeah. Like a kind of bay leaf or something. Like okay. It just adds it and you you miss it when it's gone, but you can't quite identify why. Yeah. And the second half of his career is great, but it is, it's kind of like more, feels more commercialized or more like, I don't know. There's a lot to be said. I mean, I know he'll probably come up here as well. You know, Dax Harwood, you know, he, he's someone who... You know, from FTR, you know, formerly the Revival, and he had brought up about you know Sean being kind of not a particularly nice person in, yeah. in his role as producer. You know, still kind of falling back in that kind of you know Richard Hammond style, like I'll, you know I'll be nice to you, but when my my mates who I want to impress are here, I'll mock you. But he he kind of brought up the point about how Bret Hart was a wrestler where there'll never be anyone else like Bret because. You felt you went on that journey with him. You felt you had kind of, as a fan, if you followed him, or even if you followed him later in his career, if you followed him later in your life after his career was over, you felt there was kind of an empathy there or whatever mm. it was. And maybe it's with Sean, is that with that first part, is as bad as it can be at the worst of times, there's something kind of like very pure about it. And dare I say honest, mm. for, for, for lack of a better term, in spite of the fact that it's honestly dishonest at times. Yeah. Whereas the new Sean, it is... You know, it is uh, sanitized, mm. I guess. And mm. I mean, yeah, the man's been on his personal journey, but I think there's a lot of people who will then kind of point and kind of get that kind of disingenuous vibe from him now and That's then. That's the thing. I feel know? like the second half of his career, he's playing a character of himself, which is fine. It's wrestling. Like most people do that. But I think it's hard to go to that when you are so used to him playing himself entirely in the first half of his career yeah we always talk about if someone plays kind of a bit of an asshole and an egotist and all mm. that and the slippery slope you know like rick flair for instance you know these guys who are in macho man i guess to an extent guys who kind of played the character and they kind of got drawn into some of the darker elements of it kind of grabbed hold of them but with sean it's interesting because it's like yeah he's playing a character and like oh where does the character end and the real guy begin because the character is He's, he's nice now. He's good now. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I, I think if there's one point I want people to take away from this episode is you can be nice. You can have worked on yourself. You can be born again and you can have drawn a line under a much more toxic and uh, egregious part of your life. You can still come across as a dick and piss people off, though. Absolutely. You know, yeah. No one is immune from that, particularly in wrestling. Mm-hmm. And if you're in a position of power like he is. But I think for a lot of folks who maybe followed his whole career, unlike Brett, where it's like there's this kind of whole top-down approach, I think it's the fans who followed Sean the most who had the most jarring disconnect when yeah. he came back, I guess. You know, because you can't forget what he was. Mm. And sometimes what he was trying to be or showing you what he was now kind of rubbed you the wrong way a little bit. Yeah. It's the commercialized kind of like, it's Shawn Michaels for a mass audience. Exactly, you yeah. Know? <laughs> Diluted down, but also... Like made into a fine jus, like it's a very strong 
particular flavour. Yeah, of a certain type of Shawn Michaels. Yeah. Now up from Nairo Rebel 243 on Twitter. With everything going on currently in the wrestling world around older statesmen coming back and acting like even bigger fools than they were before, <laughs> it honestly gives me more perspective and respect into HBK being able to what is ultimately make amends. You can never wipe away your past completely, and as hard as you work, you'll probably never be able to truly overcome all of your bad habits. But despite that, HBK mostly was able to make amends, and I respect that, even if he still fell into some bad habits during. I mean, I think, you know, the the main folks in his life who you think would want to have absolutely nothing to do with him, and it's like the historical enemies like Brett, and yeah. even, even Vince McMahon, I guess, at points. Yeah. But also the people who you know, were his, his close friends, but yeah. also, you know, probably had to bear the brunt of, you know, his toxic behavior. Mm-hmm. I think it speaks a lot about who, who he's kind of made his peace with. But yeah. I think, you know, you were watching the Rob Van Dam clip earlier. From I was. Him, him having, a, having a pop at HBK. It, it seems that like by making amends with that part of his life, there's maybe like another generation of people from the second part of his career who maybe didn't get that because maybe they never got to the point with Sean where it felt like amends needed to be made. Well, I imagine it would be quite frustrating if you came up through the wrestling industry after Sean had become good Sean because he is still, as we'll address in a second, he's still a dick. Yeah. Like that is just a part of who he is. That's not because he was an addict. That is just, you know, some people are dicks. People are wired that way. And I imagine it would be hard if you are a young Rob Van Dam trying to make your way in the industry and make a name for yourself to meet this guy who's like seen as, oh no, he's good now. Mm. Like he's he's good, but he's still a dick and he's still trying to like keep other guys down in yeah. certain respects or not getting them over. Gregory Helms is another guy that he was a hurricane. He He also had similar like... You know, his only experience was with... Anytime we're saying good shot, we are... I don't know why we keep doing air quotes into yeah, the microphone. Yeah, like, what but does it mean? It's like good and evil? It's made up concepts. It is, and there's, I think there's a frustration there when it's kind of like, you know, all, all the amends, that's all... That bit's all done now, yeah. you know? <laughs> You're perfect now, Sean. You don't have to do anything. You never have to apologise again. As much as WWE, and I mean, sometimes us, I guess, because we're making podcasts, is which we all <laughs> want to, like, kind of hope and pretend that it's like, and that's it now, whoosh! everything's flash frozen <laughs> and these people and all the moving parts associated with their careers and and the people who react interact with them will stay the same forever yeah the entire roster of the wrestling industry all hold hands and walk off into the sunset and live happily ever after but you know i think the reason why it's it's held in, in esteem and regard and it, you know there's not many people who have made amends yeah in that quite way it's usually the the amends that we were used to in the last few years was Someone coming back to WWE and having a big hearty hug with Vince McMahon and being like, "Yeah, you're allowed to like Kurt Angle or the Ultimate Warrior again." Yeah, now. you know that's the amends. It's when it's with the peers, you know, there'll never be, I think, a moment as as healing, I think, for for wrestling fans of a certain vintage than Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart mm. actually being able to be like bury the hatch or whatever. Yeah, you know, not best friends, but to be like that bit is to one side now. Yeah, you know? I think that is. That's important. You can't take that away. Yeah, absolutely. Now from Tyler TMC. This period was when I watched HBK the most. Again, excellent matches and valuable in the mid-2000s as a safety net. But he was, and is, still a cunt. (laughs) Only now it's alright because he found God. (laughs) Massive twat. (laughs) So lots of different opinions on Shawn Michaels um, in terms of this part of his career but i think most people can agree that like yeah okay he's made amends but he is still 
he's still a piece of shit in many ways. Yeah, I think like you know how you, your relationship with Sean is based on the fact of how surprised you'll be when more stories come out that he's said X, Y, yeah. and Z. Yeah, you know. Now from Brain With Eyes, from educating an NXT producer about why Black Lives Matter is necessary to being the one person to teach that racist hot dog a moment's humility and ring, <laughs> but also taking Saudi blood money and not really making amends for previous wrongs, modern Sean is complicated, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, he's summed up. Seriously. And he did all that within the space of a couple of years yeah. as well. <laughs> I mean, I remember when I heard about the Black Lives Matter stuff, because I think it was Randy Orton was educated by someone in NXT. Like, it was Big E had spoken to Randy. To Randy. Then, then Randy, Randy talked, talked to Sean. Yeah. And then Sean talked to one of the producers. And like, that is such a, that for me was a really like, lovely thing to hear that like, something like that can have such a positive impact on the industry. Yeah, it's trickle down social consciousness. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that Sean did use his position as, you know, a really high level producer to educate others who are also in high level positions. But then, as you were saying earlier, this stuff with Dax Harwood, where he was completely dismissive of his very real mental health issues yeah. and mocked him in his workplace. Like, that's disgusting behaviour and wouldn't be allowed in most modern workplaces. And um, why is it allowed in wrestling? You know, the, probably the reason why it, it sticks with, with Dax and the reasons why it, it kind of upset him as much as it did, I think, is because I think he looked up to him as yeah. well. You know, probably doesn't now mm. as much. But I think that's a... You know, when we were watching that second documentary, the, the A&E one there, like, everyone was, like, you had fucking everyone from Keith Lee, Damien Priest, Gargano, everyone just sat there looking at him like they're fucking 10 years old. Yeah. You know, the the guy is, like, held in very high esteem in spite of all that other stuff. So I think when he does let people down, it stings even more yeah. now, to be honest. And especially because, like, you know, as he is such a big name in wrestling if he does do something good like the black lives matter conversation it's very easy to put him on a pedestal and be like wow he's amazing he's so good oh wow he's perfect and it's yeah. like well you know you can be good at one conversation and quite bad in other areas of yeah. social conversation we, we've had quite a, an anti-pedestal stance uh, in the last yeah. couple of years in this podcast have no heroes and uh, certainly speaking Shawn michaels is gonna be the man to break that rule <laughs> Next from Olympic Lash. Sean's been my all-time favourite since about 1995. Wow, long-time fan. Yeah. Often it's hard listening to people talk about him because they only focus on the negative stuff. I know he was a jerk then, but I wish more people would focus on his overall journey and how far he's come. It's amazing. <laughs> it's funny though because it's like, I feel if you you end up thinking about his personal life which and you think about kind of his, his personal history or whatever it is, you can't help but like thinking about the bad because you can't think about the the good doesn't mean anything without the bad. Yes. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the reason why we split the episode up is I felt that you needed to have those two things kind of, you know, you need to compare and contrast them. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm against putting wrestlers on pedestals and all that, but it'd be the most naive thing in the world. And I know there's people that are like kind of, oh, don't have, you know, parasocial relationships with wrestlers and things like that mm. and i agree like you know if you're trying to be mates with every wrestler on twitter it's probably going to only end up in heartbreak for yeah. you and, and oh, probably yeah. them as well like. yes but with sean and a lot of wrestlers at the time like come on let's 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 not kid ourselves and you talked about love and drama and all that but like that's the fascinating thing about him and what makes him feel like a real person mm. it's it's what makes him you know it's it's 
everything viewed through the lens of the negativity doesn't mean that everything is negative because like I think of like all the negative stuff when I was coming across Sean in season four of the ITR podcast, you know, drama nonstop week to week. And then I'd watch a match like the Bad Blood Hell in a Cell match and be like blown away on another level because I'm like, how can this guy who is having pissing people off and by all rights shouldn't even be lacing up a pair of boots? How can he perform at this level? Yeah. So like even viewing him negatively, honestly, it actually makes the matches sometimes even more enjoyable That's because it's like impossible to realize how he can do it. And I don't think it's really possible to talk about how far he's come without talking about the negatives. Yeah. Because it implies that he came from like zero to this magnificent point, but it's not quite true because he was in such a bad place in the first part of his career that he wasn't at equal footing as other people at ground yeah, zero. Exactly, he was yeah. He was beneath that because he was in a much harder place. Yeah. It's uh, it's one of those guys where I think, you know, they always talk about you know, separating the performer from the performance and all that. But I think Shawn Michaels, those two things, like mm. it's like he's branded with it. Yeah, you know? it's intertwined. <laughs> Finally, now from wrestling referees are wizards. Got into wrestling after he was gone and stopped watching before he came back. It wasn't until getting into it again that I realized that he came back as someone who could still go. And it wasn't just a brief old man return. It was properly a second half to his career. Yeah, it is. It's a... Uh, it's it's an ultimate comeback, yeah. you know? I mean, I think it remains to be seen because when you talk about comebacks, in my mind, it's the, the big names at the moment are, are, are Brian Danielson and Edge, mm. who obviously have come back in the last few years after a time off. Punk too. And I, <laughs> well, that's, I'm not going to absolutely completely wither this with, with time dating by making any comment on CM Punk whatsoever. <laughs> But even with the high level that Edge and Brian have been back at, it's still very much like, you know, Sean was doing house shows. Sean was, you know, he, he came back in a, in a full force that no one ever, ever, ever thought possible. Mm. And I guess he's a guy where, you know, he's, he's a proof of high octane, picking your moves carefully, because I think we could probably count the number of moves that Shawn Michaels does, maybe on one and a half hands, mm. you know? It's it's not like he's got you know a young bucks Kenny Omega repertoire of moves. Yeah. Yet he was always flashy and exciting. And yes. I think you know I think there's a happy middle ground between people who are like, oh, you know, these guys are too flashy, or whatever. We should slow it down, make it more old school. And I think Shawn Michaels has been that happy middle ground for like his entire career. Yeah. It feels like yeah. you know where if you're an old school fan, you can watch him be like, yeah, that's old school proper wrestling. <laughs> and you know you know. Folks like the Young Bucks modeled their career on early yeah. Shawn Michaels because it was exciting and it was flashy and all that. So, yeah, definitely, definitely a guy where I feel like it was a good, good point to do him later in the run. I feel if we did him very early in How To Wrestling, he could have possibly put you off a lot of other wrestlers thinking like, why is yeah. this guy held up in such high regard? I just think of another... Like if we're you know in the in the metaverse or whatever, not the metaverse. metaverse. <laughs> <laughs> if we're in like the multiverse or whatever, maybe there's another world where you introduced me to Sean before Brett, <laughs> and I just wonder how I would feel about them both if that had been the case. I mean, it'll be very different. You know, I can only think it is because we were only talking to you the day on the Attitude podcast how like in our first season when. You know, I'd seen some stuff, but Billy and Adam only really knew of Brett just from kind of hearing about him. Right. And a bit about Sean as well. They'd seen him in later years. And then it was actually going back and watching him. It's like, they're kind of embarrassed almost. And like, you're like, oh, they're like, oh, Brett, he's a miserable old man, isn't he? 
And now we're like, yes, he is, but a very vindicated, uh, righteous, yeah. miserable man. That's part of his charm. It is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's certainly taken some turns that I didn't expect, but I'm very glad that you've come to grips with the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels. And Joe, our next episode is going to be a, a, quite a change of pace. It's going to be a first time ever for us. No, not three-parter. Instead, <laughs> instead, we're going to focus on someone who is integral to, well, when I was growing up watching wrestling, he, he was like one of the most important aspects of it. And to this day remains a pivotal cornerstone, a load-bearing part of professional wrestling. We may have done an episode all about commentary, but now it's time to focus on who's considered to be the greatest of all time. Our next episode is going to be How to JR. We're going to be looking all at the career of Oklahoma's favorite son, Jim Ross, the man under the black hat who has provided commentary, God, since the early 80s, late 70s, all throughout the Attitude Era, WCW, WWE, and AEW, a man who has been the target of Vince McMahon's enjoyment of bullying people in real life and on his television show. Are you excited about Jim Ross? I mean, I know over on the Patreon page you've had less than nice things to say about his commentary on a few occasions on our AEW reviews. Yeah, but that's not that's no comment on him um on his career. Yeah. Because everything he's gone through and how old he is and how long wrestling shows are now i feel like it's a miracle he's able to be as good as he is yeah he's about to celebrate his fifth decade yeah uh, involved in the world of wrestling and i feel if tony Schiavone wasn't there you know being so good maybe we would all be a bit kinder to jim ross but look, let's be honest not everyone can be tony Schiavone. and, yeah. and jim ross you know He's had a lot of medical conditions which have really made his career harder than they would have been otherwise. So I give him a lot of space for errors in his later years. They're spoken like someone who has professionally reviewed Jim Ross on commentary for the last three or so years. <laughs> and maybe someone who's not used to the absolute peak Jim Ross that maybe some of us have grown up with. That's the thing. That's why I'm really excited to see because I know that people like you pretty much worship the ground he walks on in terms of his like the peak of his career like he's oh, yeah. the best for a reason i mean he was one of the voices i heard inside my head while daydreaming about wrestling like all throughout my my childhood and and, and young adult years you and know something i would like to look at with the jim ross episode is that like you know for people like me who didn't maybe watch much rest would watch any wrestling growing up but like lived through the attitude era we were all familiar with like stone cold and the rock but actually, Jim Ross is tied to their careers. He's like, it's it, he's inseparable from them. When you think about the, oh, yeah. their highlights of their careers, it's Jim Ross's voice you hear in your ear. Yeah, you think about Steve Austin in the ring right now, you're thinking of Jim Ross yeah. saying, there's Stone Cold in the ring right now. Like. So <laughs> for me, that means I feel he should be considered as great as people like Stone Cold and The Rock because he is as legendary. So we want to see some of the legendary calls because he has shown up a few times on the podcast. And as I said, we did do a, a comment episode where i believe you actually watched a match blind with just jim ross doing the commentary in your ear mm -hmm. we want to look at maybe some of the classic you know going back to the wcw days when he was at maybe you know i mean the cadence of his voice the way he spoke so different but the passion still absolutely there some of the iconic calls throughout the attitude era and beyond maybe some of his less than good days at the office and also i do want to have a look at all of the storylines that this man in spite of his best wishes and best efforts, 
constantly found himself involved in. And we're going to talk about the effectiveness of using announcers in angles. Should they be completely kept away or should they be integrated in? Because I argue that a lot of people like myself have got the attachment to Jim Ross they have because we saw him get the shit beat out of him so many times when we were growing up. Oh, we want your favorite calls, your favorite stories, your favorite sound bites, your less than favorite moments and angles, matches. We're going to be maybe looking at Jim Ross taking on Triple H. What a barn burner that's going to be. <laughs> Using the hashtag HowToJR. And do not forget, once again, folks, we are 100% fan and listener support here on How To Wrestling. So if you want to give back to the podcast, help keep it ad free, and get access to hundreds of hours of audio content, pay per view reviews going all the way back to 2016, as well as pay per view classic, video QAs with myself and Joe, and the How To Revisited series, Roads to the Top, The, the Big Show Show, and more. It's all over at patreon.com forward slash how to wrestling for a mere five dollars a month. Wow, that's becoming a better bargain every time you say it. Exactly, that's <laughs> what I like about it. We've got a crazy big back catalogue up there now. You want to join for just a month to get access to that content and say thanks for an episode? That's the way to do it. Patreon.com forward slash how to wrestling. But until next time, where we're going to be looking at good old JR. Boomer Sumer, folks. It's a goodbye from me, Kevin. And a goodbye from me, Joe. And we'll see you next time on How To Wrestling. See ya.